4: Good evening everybody and welcome to another edition on the Sports Exchange here on the South Florida Tribune Broadcasting Network. In studio as always is Lewis Eddie Weiss. Lewis, welcome back.
2: Well, what's going on, Scott?
4: All right, well Lewis, you're back in the house and we're leading it off with Ryan. Fantasy football, Road, and Ryan, what you got?
0: Well, um, we've got uh, we've got a few things. There's a lot of major injuries actually going on right now in terms of uh, in terms of the NFL. Uh, starting off with uh, David was sidelined to practice today, um, dealing with the back injury that he suffered in their last game. Uh, this is something to monitor for your fantasy uh, for your fantasy lineups. Uh, if Chase Edmonds is available um, to to pick up on seeing scene, you are struggling at running back and can't afford to um, to have David Johnson sit out, I would suggest going and getting Chase Edmonds off of the free agent wire if it it's available um, to be your back in case Johnson is unable to go on Sunday. Uh, Edmonds uh, performed very admirably. I want to say he. 13-14 carries, sixty plus yards um, in their last game after Johnson sat for a little bit, um, and this is they're going up against a defense in Atlanta that can't really stop anything. Um, pretty much uh, all offense, or rushing or passing, uh, it's you know basically go uh, and a defense like water through a sieve. So for the most part, um, as if Johnson doesn't is not able to go, then should. Have been, should put up um, very very vital
4: fantasy numbers for this week. Okay, sounds good. Alright, so you talked about Devontae Adams likely not playing on Monday night. So, a couple questions. If by chance he gets activated, do you put Aaron Rodgers in? And if he doesn't get activated, do you put Matthew Stafford in if you have both quarterbacks?
0: Uh, I would, right now I would lean towards Stafford. I know that may be heresy. For, you know to some people that have played fantasy football for a long time. but the fact that they are just not using Aaron Rodgers in the offense um, that that really they're using him almost as a decoy and, and, and doing everything through the running game through Aaron Jones. Um, if Devontae Adams does not play, he really is, does not have a target that he can that he can trust. Uh, Marquez Aldis scaling has been less than less than hoped for. With Adams out, um, he's performed pretty well when Adams is in because it draws the top top coverage and allows uh, scaling to you know do his do his work against the number two or number three corner. That's not the case if Adams is out. He's probably going to get the number one the number one guy. So uh, I think that. Uh, Scantling is, is, not, uh, is not fantasy viable this week if Adams is out. Geronimo Allison may be as a deep, deep flex play, but that's about it. And so uh, if Devontae Adams is out, which today he was in street clothes and didn't even bother stretching at practice, um, as of right now, I, the only fantasy option that I would want in this game is possibly the Green Bay defense and, uh, and Aaron Jones.
4: And then you're saying sit Rodgers in that scenario. Now, if he's healthy, Adams, do you put Rodgers in? Or you, do you feel that I Stafford he, is if, a better bet? If he's going to play, I
0: think that, that Aaron Rodgers will actually target him. So, yes.
4: Okay. So, if Adams is in, you take Rodgers. If he's out, you go Stafford, right? I'd probably go Stafford. Okay. Let's talk about O.J. Howard. You say it's time, it's coming according to Byron Leftwich? According
0: to who's the offensive coordinator, he has stated that the time is coming for um, O.J. For Howard to be utilized in the offense. This comes at, you know, just days after, or a day or two after uh, Jameis Winston himself has said that they need to make a, a, a joint effort um, as a team and as an offense to get Mike Evans more involved. The problem is that Jameis Winston is a one look. Quarterback, not necessarily that he doesn't really go through progressions, but he is a one look as in he finds one guy that he's going to throw to over and over and over again. You know, you look at uh, you look at what um, Chris Godwin has done this season. Right now, he is the number one wide receiver in fantasy football in terms of fantasy points scored. Um, he leads the league in touchdowns. Jameis Winston is looking his way. The one down game that Chris Godwin had was the game that uh, Mike Evans went for, what was it? It was like, you know, 10, 11, 9, ten catches or something for, you know, 180 yards and three touchdowns. So Winston has to learn to, to target more people in the game, and I think that would help everyone involved. Okay.
4: Now you say A.J. Green may be back soon. Uh,
0: A.J. Green actually practiced, actually had, um, pads and a helmet on today in practice. So he actually, um, he actually practiced in a limited capacity today. Uh, Zach Taylor stated that um, it's not likely that it's going to happen this week, but there is a possibility that AJ Green could be ready next week in week seven. I personally think that it would be close to week eight or week nine just with how little he has done so far in the offense. Um, Really, this is his first real practice practice since July. And so while A.J. Green is an absolute monster when he's healthy, this is a completely different offensive system that he's going to be working in. So I think that it
4: may may not be next week. I I would more look towards week eight or nine. Okay, now Zach Taylor also indicated that Green is not going to be traded either.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, for me, I think that's more along the lines of coach speak. Um, I think that if the right offer comes around, they would trade him. Um, mm-hmm. Just saying, we are not going to trade a guy. When he, I believe he's coming up. He may be coming up on a, on, a, on, a, on a contract here. I can't remember. I can't remember the exact details of his contract. But, um, you know, I think if the right offer comes, they trade him. If the right offer comes for just about anyone, for just about any team, they're going to trade just about any player.
4: Okay. All right, let's talk about Jalen Ramsey's return. Will that make a difference to the Jacksonville Jaguars against the New Orleans Saints?
0: I think it could make a little bit of a difference. Um, especially considering the um you know the the fact that Thomas oh, just the fact that Michael Thomas has played so well uh, this last week um and, and really the defense for Jacksonville is much better when Jalen Ramsey is there. Right. Um because he is that shut down corner. So I think it will I think Ramsey if he's actually healthy and actually playing, yes, it will help them against the New Orleans offense. Again, it's not Drew Brees, it's Teddy Bridgewater. And so I think that will that will have a big effect and could possibly tilt the skills
4: in their favor um against the against the New Orleans Saints. we'll, we'll stay up in Jacksonville. How do you think Minshew Mania is gonna work out this week up against the Saints?
0: That's a tough one because this Saints defense does a good job of getting to the quarterback, of causing some havoc. Um, Menchu is for the is somewhat mobile, um, so that so that you know that does have a little bit of an effect. Um, but he, I mean, he has a good arm. He's able to read through progressions. You know, coming up through Mike Leach's system in Washington State, in a very pass happy offense, he knows how to work through progressions. He was he wasn't a, ever really a, a one look wonder kind of a guy, so um, really it's it's all going to depend on how well um, Fournette is able to run the ball, right. to pull the defense, you know, to, to keep the linebackers close and to open up some, some passing lanes for him.
4: Okay, one other note, I know we're going to have some fun with the uh, Dolphins and the Redskins, okay? Todd Gurley's week six status is unclear due to a quad injury. What else do you know about that?
0: Uh, as of right now, he has not practiced. He did not practice today. If he practices tomorrow, being Friday, that opens up the, the possibility of him still playing. Um, I think that it's, it's likely that they can hold him out. Um, again, it's, it all depends on what the practice report is for tomorrow. So if, if he does practice tomorrow... Um, I think that uh, I think that he will be good to go. If not, Malcolm Brown is most likely on waivers or on the free agent lists in in leagues, and so he is definitely a guy that you'd want to pick up, um, you know, to help to help fill that hole.
4: Okay, Lewis, you're going to get involved with this one. Okay, you ready? Let's go. All right, let's talk about the Miami Dolphins and the Washington Redskins. That, since we all love bowl games, every one of us gets an opportunity to uh, come up with one. And we're going to leave it off with Lewis Adio Weiss. What will be the bowl game over at Hard Rock Stadium between the Dolphins and the Redskins?
2: I mean, I called it the Bowel Bowl because it's going to be kind of a duty kind of game, for lack of a better word. It's going to be pretty ugly. I mean, the last time these two teams met, the Dolphins did beat the Redskins in a very low-scoring 17-10 game, but that was four years ago, Scott and Ryan. So it's been a while since they've met. But, I mean, these two teams are bad right now. Combined records of 0-9. Josh Rosen has not been good. Yeah, the quarterback situation isn't any better over there in Washington. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, the bowel bowl sounds pretty good because it's going to be pretty crappy, no pun intended.
4: Well, no, there was a pun intended. So, if you're going to go that far, yeah, if you're going to go that far, then, Lewis, why don't you give us a score? I mean, I'm going to say, I mean,
2: NFL.com has 21-17. I don't even know if if either team gets to 20. But you know what I'll say? You know what? 23-20. How about that? It's going to be a close game. For who? It's going to be Washington winning this game. I don't know. I just don't see Miami coming out with a win even though they're at home. All right, Ryan, you're up
4: next. What do you think, buddy?
0: Uh, For me, this is definitely the toilet bowl. I think that this – I think that, you know, looking at – what's been interesting is looking at fantasy projections for teams, um, especially in terms of defenses for this week. um, Both the Washington and Miami defenses were ranked somewhat high in terms of um, the possibility of points scored for the defense, which makes absolutely no sense to me because – I think that both of these defenses are so bad that this could actually end up being a high-scoring game um, just because of how bad the defense are. Both, I mean, both sides of the ball, both teams are struggling big time. But I think that this could either be a really low-scoring game where the defenses actually get something going, or this could be a really high-scoring game and, uh, and just, you know, or it could just be a complete mess. I don't know. Uh, I think for me, I definitely see Washington coming out on top. I could see this as a you know as a twenty-seven, twenty-four type of game where uh, where um, where Washington comes out on top.
4: Well, that leaves me. All right, since we know that ne- neither of these two teams are going to the Super Bowl, we'll just call it the Super Bowl, okay? <laughs> we'll go to the Super Bowl, and yeah, I, I'm with you, Ryan. I think the Redskins come away with a twenty-eight to twenty win. Uh, Obviously, we know that uh, um, field goals and extra points are missed, and maybe there's a two-point conversion along the way. So, we got the Super Bowl. We have what do you what do you say again, buddy? You called it the toilet the, bowl. I call it the Toilet Bowl. And you I had the Bowel Bowl. I mean, right. yeah, you have three
2: so, bad teams going up against each other.
4: So everybody out there, we have three different bowl games. Uh, for our, uh, th- if you're looking for a negative bowl game, all three of us have identified one. Let's talk about the Thursday night game since we are broadcasting on the Thursday night. Okay, uh, we have the Giants against the New England Patriots. No, not the Super Bowl because we know the Giants have made out pretty well. But now the question is: is how bad will the damage be? We'll lead off with you, Ryan. This
1: is going to be a horrible game,
0: uh, and, and I don't think honestly in terms of in terms of fantasy production all around, not just for the Giants, but I think it could be a a bit of a bad game for the uh, for New England as well in terms of fantasy production. I still think that New England comes out with the wind. That's not in question for me. But um, you know you've got a really you know, you've got bad weather uh, up in New England. I, I have not seen the absolute latest weather report as in like in, in the last hour. The last time I saw it, they were still expecting rain and and gusts of wind up to 30 miles an hour in Gillette Stadium. Uh, that does not make for good passing that does not make for for being able to hold on the ball in the running game and so i think that helps the giants a little bit if anything actually helps considering that they are down their number one wide receiver in sterling shepherd their number one tight end in Evan Hegram, and their number two one and two running backs in uh saquon barkley and uh in wayne goleman so they, they are in trouble just from the fact they don't have anyone on offense to play. And their defense is so bad, it's not going to take much for, for for Tom Brady to pick them apart. I think that Tom Brady can still throw one, maybe two touchdowns in this, but they're more likely to be kind of those quick crossing routes and dump-offs. to like James White, where he breaks one loose, or Julian Ellman, if he plays tonight, breaks one loose. Because the, the Patriots also have uh, Rex Burkhead is likely out. Uh, Phillip Dorsett is out. Josh Gordon, Julian Edelman, and I want to say one of their offensive linemen are all three questionable for tonight.
4: So are we calling this the mash bowl?
0: This is more of a. Oh, this just this one doesn't. This is more of a a, a a bad weather bowl that I don't want really anything to do with. I originally had Josh Gordon for this game. Um, I think I may actually be pulling him out and putting in someone else this week.
4: So, what's your score on this one, Lewis? And I'll have time to mess around with the score later.
0: Hmm. Uh, for me on this game, I think that with how good that New England defense is, I'm saying uh, I'll, I'll be a little optimistic for the Giants. And I'll say that they lose uh, twenty-four to uh, 7, uh, twenty-four to ten.
4: What about you? I'll let you see yours now.
2: Um, I'm not being that generous. I mean, I'm going to say like 35 to like 10. I uh, think I think I Brady's going nice. to have a big game. I mean, I'm reading it right here. This is the largest differential in wins between us two starting quarterbacks in NFL history. Brady's 212 wins to Daniel Jones' is two. The largest such mark in NFL history. I know experience and you know tenure p- plays into that, but I don't know. I mean, Br- last time they played, it was a 17 to 12 game. I don't know. I mean, just with how bad the Giants are now, and I understand Jones looks to be promising moving forward, but I just don't want to question Brady, who's 11-1 and th- on Thursday Night Football in his career. He's pretty much put up an MVP-caliber season in his time of football. I think it's going to be a massacre tonight.
4: All right, well, you know what? I'll concur with uh, Lewis, but I'll go 33-3. to
2: Wow, We're limiting him to
4: just a field 33-3. goal? 33-3, yeah. You talked about defensive game. Again, these are predictions. We're not... Uh... Nothing's etching, so when the time comes and we get all this stuff right, we'll all be rich, right. while you, all you guys, right?
2: And Ryan, I'm being generous there because the Patriots are averaging, they've allowed 34 points through their first five games this year. That's a little under seven points a game, so the fact that I'm even saying that Daniel Jones may even either throw a touchdown or if he uses his legs and runs one in, I'm being a little generous there. But again, we'll see what happens, this game's about to start right now. Yeah, so, I
0: understand. Again, I'm I'm going with the fact that with the weather, I do, I think that it may it may slow down New England just a little bit. Um, and again, being generous with the Giants, possibly getting to ten points. Again, I think that's more of a, a you know someone gets loose because you know the defense falls falls with the uh, um, with the weather being what it is. All
4: right. Any other thing you want to add before we bring on UK? Uh,
0: I think that's it. I think that's all I got.
4: All right. Well, that's plenty up for us. So, all right, uh, Ryan, we'll uh, we'll uh, get it rolling next week. Candy and I will be up in Jacksonville against the uh, with the Jaguars and the Saints. We'll give you our takes on that. Anything you want to add before he goes? That's it, Ryan. I mean, good talking to you. Always fun to hear your fantasy takes. All right, Ryan, you go ahead and take care of business with the kids, and we'll and we we got a assembly line of guests rolling, and we're just getting this program started. Once again, this all right. The Sports As always, it's, a, it's fun to be on with you guys. Oh, we love having you, Ryan. Thank awesome, you, man. Thank you very much, and we'll definitely be in touch. Have a great football weekend, Ryan. You too. All right. All right take Go, care. Good night. Uh, all right, so what are your thoughts right now about uh, what, what we've seen so far? Are you, because of him... Okay, uh, do you plan to make any uh, changes to your lineup?
2: No, I mean, I don't have anybody going in either of those games. I don't believe I have anybody on the uh, Patriots or the Giants. But, you know, and none of the names that were mentioned, you know, A.J. Green's not on my team. He hasn't even played this year. And I've heard a lot of people say his numbers are declining. And if they're going to trade him, and I've read Zach Taylor's comments that there's no, no way they're going to trade him right now. I'd argue that he needs to play a couple of games to establish some value because if you're not on the field, that's really going to diminish. For a Bengals team that's 0 5 and they have a quarterback in Andy Dalton who's a lot older, you're going to want to have to trade and get at least maybe a second round pick for A.J. Green given the fact that he has been in the league for nearly a decade now. He's not the same player he once was, though, you know, numbers like his completion, his catch percentage is actually relatively solid. You know, I think give him a couple games to play, get his feet wet, give him to be healthy, and I think that'll benefit the Bengals if they were to trade him moving
4: forward. All right, we're talking about football. UK's due on in a few minutes, but you're put, we're putting you to work over the weekend, man. Yes, I hope so. you don't have
2: any dates on Saturday. No, we got some FAU football, Middle Tennessee coming up, 4 o'clock game down in uh, Boca, so it'll be fun.
4: Yeah, what are your thoughts about being able to cover your first uh, uh, college game? Well, it's going to be exciting. I mean, you know,
2: doing these radio shows are fun, and that's going to be even more fun. You know, just another thing to add to the uh, resume of the uh, growing career of me in the sports sport world, so it's going to be fun, man. I'm looking forward to it.
4: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. You know why? You're the one who's got a file on deadly, and I don't. All I got to do is make sure you're on track, man. Yeah,
2: I'll be putting together notes throughout that entire game. You know, I'll have a spreadsheet open with numbers, and then I'm just gonna keep reading storylines. You know, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a fun game.
4: Hopefully, FAU pull it out under the lane train. Well, I hope so. And you know, the irony about this whole thing too, Lewis, is the first time I ever covered an FAU game was ironically against Middle Tennessee State. Now I'll give you a little bit of trivia here, okay? That. I covered them at Lockhart Stadium on the same day that Michigan got upset by Appalachian State in Ann Arbor. And let me tell you the difference in the crowds We're like 90,000 people.
2: Yeah. Well, Lockhart down in the
4: old Fort Lauderdale, right where the Yankees used to spring train, I believe, correct? So, yeah, and I drove by that recently, and it got leveled. So, yeah, uh,
2: not the same Oh, so anyway.
4: They're putting some soccer complex in there that David Beckham wants. We're not oh, talking f- soccer. But yeah, so. no. <laughs> But no, ironic, so oh, I guess my point to you is, it's ironic that you're going to cover your, an FAU Middle Tennessee State game uh, as I did the first time I ever covered Florida Atlantic against Middle Tennessee State. I
2: mean, I'm obviously following your lead, so it's just a gradual chain of progression, appropriate for you know what game we're doing on Saturday. So,
4: well, I hope so.
2: Yeah, I mean, it'll be fun, and I'm excited to actually get to sit in the press box. You know. Maybe see Frank Fort. You know, I'm not gonna go up all googly-eyed and say hi to him, but it's gonna be fun, man Gonna cover some football. It'll be fun.
4: Well, yeah, he has his own booth I Absolutely. don't think he'll be but, looking, but, but for you It's a good experience. Yeah, before I, four I remember quarters. the first time I ever got in a press box You know, I, I did many many years ago, but once you get acclimated to it, you know You're there you zone everything out and you do what you got to do So it's gonna be a wonderful experience for you, and you know, hopefully if everything works out You'll have another opportunity. Yeah, we're going to do our it. I, I,
2: trust me, it ain't going to be the only time, I hope, because, you know, put together something good for that game, you know, get it out there, see what the world thinks about it. See. Well,
4: that's okay. We'll make sure we get it out there. But your first act will be over the weekend. Bear in mind, FAU d- is starting to have a much better program. Mm-hmm. Russy Smith was, uh, once upon a time, a uh, Tennessee Titan. Alfred Morris came from there. Alfred Morris came Devin from there. Devin Singletary is with the Buffalo Bills. Mm-hmm. Lester Jean, I believe, went ahead and played for the uh, Houston Texans for a while, and we're not going to get into all of them, but just let you know that uh, FAU does produce some prospects. Yes, they do. And and the older the program gets, I believe it's in good hands. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
2: That first year he had with them was amazing. I mean, he turned them into a legitimate football team. They were getting you know games on you know Fox, and they were you know they were a football team that people were actually talking about outside of the state of Florida. And, you know, in the context of, you know, universities like Florida State and UF that ha- and UM that have this prize history, you know, of football winning, and you know, obviously the Bobby Bowden legacy over there in Florida State. Right. You know, the Tim Tebow days in 06, 07. It's nice to see FAU getting some recognition, also given the fact that it is my alumni. So, well, you know, my alma mater.
4: Wrote, well, so. yeah, my alma mater is in South Florida, but I have a passion for both USF as well as FAU. I've mm-hmm. worked with FAU for a long time. Yeah, And I have a – and they're, they're a good – uh, distribution partner for your uh, for the South Florida Tribune, yeah. and they contribute with us all the time. So yeah, I think it'll be good for you to get out there, and you know, it, this you're gonna be covering all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll get to a couple of basketball games with me just to get a feel for it. Yeah, those those
2: I mean that relationship with the university, which I'm which is what you're kind of discussing, is important because obviously it can lead to other things, and those connections that you establish with those people, you know, can help you know progress us forward as we go
4: along. Well, everything goes according to plan. If I have my way, you're probably going to be covering a lot of FAU baseball situations. Oh, I baseball. hope so. I mean, I might be able to get you in there, and you'll probably cover quite a few of those games for sure. That'll so. be that would be but,
2: another dream of mine.
4: What to cover? FAU uh, yeah, baseball, absolutely. I'll I mean, one, Anthony though.
2: Rizzo was committed to go there. Look where he is now, first baseman yeah, for the Yeah, that's Chicago a good Cubs. program.
4: Uh, but with that said, we got there you he is. coming on. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we have UK Anthony Wood live here on the Sports Exchange here on the South Florida Tribune Broadcasting Network. And, Anthony, welcome back to the show. How you doing, buddy? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? No, We're doing very good. We're talking about FAU football before you came on board. But now we're going to talk about uh, some inside information that you'd like to progress, and then we're going to ask you to come up with the name of a bowl game for the Miami uh, Dolphins and the Washington Redskins at the tail end of your segment, okay? Absolutely. So go ahead. Uh, yes, yeah, so let's kick off. Let's kick off with the Patriots. They have just kicked off. There are fourteen twelve left to go in the first quarter. Still zero zero between them
5: and the Giants. Uh, some updates on that game. Rex Burkhead and Philip Dorsett are both out for Patriots with injuries. Giants have had to promote running back Austin Walter to the active roster, and in your corresponding move, they've had to release QB Alec Attani. This is because both Saquon Barkley and his backup. Are out tonight. They are going to be running with their third-string rookie backup, rookie running back tonight. So it's not looking too good for them, especially when you throw in the fact that Evan Engram and Sterling Shepard are both out as well for the uh, for the Giants tonight. So obviously, Jones is coming up. There. Daniel Jones will see first-round rookie. A lot is expected of him up in New York. He's coming off of a relatively poor game against the Vikings, and he needs to rely a lot more on Golden Tate tonight. He only had 13 yards on three receptions. So they need to try and get some more out of him tonight if they're going to get anything out of this game. Let's be honest, the Patriots are going into this as heavy, heavy favourites. Obviously 5-0 and at this point in time. Their defence has looked solid in every possible way at this point in time. So it's going to be an extremely tough, tough game for the uh, for the uh, Giants there. So that's going to be something to keep a close eye on. I was wondering what your thoughts are on the game, and of course. And, and how many points do you think the Patriots could realistically wrap up tonight? Because I think it's safe to say they will probably
4: win. Well, you know, I told uh, Ryan Scouloud before you came on. I thought it was thirty-three to three. I think that the Patriots are going to annihilate the Giants. Your inclement weather is part of the forecast, so I'll stick with that. Go ahead. What do you want? I
2: I gave him a forecast of about thirty-five to ten. You know, and that's being generous considering how good the Patriots' defense has been this year. They've allowed just thirty-four points in the first five games of the season. You know, less than seven points a game. But I think Daniel Jones, given the fact that he's a dual threat, I think he's maybe either going to reach golden Tate for one in the in the end zone maybe he'll use his legs and do what he's done already three times this year and run one in himself. So, I mean, I'm being a little generous. But, again, I don't expect the Giants to do much in this game. I think it's going to be a blowout, as all three of us can can kind of concur on. I mean, it's going to be an ugly game. And, I mean, Brady's just going to put up another Thursday night, you know, gem in a career that's already been, you know, full of gems with all the accolades that we can list. But, yeah, tonight's going to be ugly, man. 35-10, I'm calling it. What about you, Andrew?
4: I'm going to go ahead and say 32-6. But, again... Something that,
5: again, weighs against Daniel Jones here is that Brady at this point in his career is still 11-0 against rookie QBs, which is a ridiculous stat. But I think that says it all, doesn't it, about the stability of that, that Patriots organization and their consistency since the Belichick radio really kicked off. So I think it's fair to say we know which way it's going to go tonight.
4: It's just a case of how many points they can actually put up on the board. Well, all, all three of us seem to think it's over 30, so... 32, 33, what did you say? 35, 35 to 10. Right. So we're yeah. in the 30s. So, And I like 33 to 3 because 33 is my lucky number. And then why not tack on another three? And it keeps it within the ballpark. It's not like one of those things where we're talking about a previous Super Bowl matchup that was close that the Giants eked out. This was a much different situation. Two different teams now. Yeah. Well, Giants, two different teams. Well, they've got, they've they've got almost four minutes off the clock. And it's, it's, it's currently scoreless, but the first and ten out of the Giants. 18, so the Patriots are in control Okay, well that's okay, let's keep control over the next comp- topic, and that's A.J. Green trade, okay Give us your take yeah, on it, and, we, and then I'll tell you what I think, and what Lewis does Yeah, we, we, we've spoken about this briefly before, about the uh, potential for A.J. Green obviously
5: the star receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals Is he going to be traded? Is he not? There's a lot of uncertainty about the future of the Bengals themselves in Cincinnati as well now, AJ Green has his returned to training in a in a very limited fashion. He's still nowhere near ready to play yet. He has said, I'm prepared for anything regarding a potential trade before the October 29th deadline. He said, a trade's not going to change who I am. I'm still going to play. I'm still going to be AJ. But he did tell the team's website recently, I want the team records. I want more Pro Bowls. I want all that. So when I leave here, there's going to be a stand. And, and he was talking about being compared to Fitzgerald, and he appreciates that, the one-team mentality of some players. And I... I don't necessarily get the vibe from him that he is desperate to leave at this point in time, but you you certainly couldn't criticise him for thinking about it, if we're being honest, if you consider quite how poor the Bengals have been consistently the last few years. So it's it's an interesting situation. They could still trade him. I don't necessarily see that happening this year, personally. but I certainly wouldn't say it, it's out of the realm of possibility at this point in time. There's no
4: real rumors going on at this point in time as to potential destinations, so it's gone quite quiet. Well, as I mentioned, uh, Ryan, Zach Taylor said he's not being traded. So, I mean, that's what the coach is saying. But the front office is another story. But if the coach doesn't feel that he should be traded, I'm sure his opinion does matter this early in the game at the, this particular point. But that situation is an outright mess If we've talked about it before. so All right, so what, give me an update on Patrick Mahomes. Yes, absolutely. of uh, of a long, long-awaited matchup against the
5: Texans. It could be a real shootout, sort of a uh, battle with the fittest. there. I mean, look at those two QBs. They're two of the best young QBs in the league, if not the two best young QBs. It's going to be an unbelievable game if all goes bland. And Mahomes has said his ankle feels good, but it's not perfect. He has returned to practice, to my knowledge. But they have two offensive linemen, both starting linemen, to my knowledge. Again, on the uh, did-not-participate list yesterday, also, Sammy Watkins was listed as did not participate. LeSean McCoy and Tyreek Hill are both limited. So not good news for uh, for the Chiefs. Though. They are really struggling to get an offensive line together at this point in time, and I think they are well aware that they are struggling up front there. Obviously, they're coming off of a somewhat surprising loss to the Colts last weekend, where the Colts really seem to have their number. They seem to figure them out, so that's something the Texans, I'm sure, will be looking to lean on coming into this week. Uh, the Texans only did not participate was uh, Greg Nanks' offensive lineman, but he's a backup. Uh, again, they have released the injury report today, and they have no one else limited. Uh, no one else listed as a did not participate. A couple limited, but the only player who may not play this weekend out of them is wide receiver Kenny Stills coming off of a hamstring injury. So, apart from that, the Texans are going into it very healthy. The Chiefs, not so much. So it's going to be a an interesting matchup, especially when you consider that Tyron Matthews is starting safety for the Chiefs now. He was a Texan last year. He said said earlier today that he feels he knows the head coach there well. He knows he's going to target him early on and he, he's confident going into this game. He was asked whether or not this is a strange situation for him and he, he was very simple and sort of straight-faced when he's basically said, I've there a year it's not like I've there three or four so I certainly, well, I certainly wasn't getting any uh, inkling of any sentimental value for this game for uh, Tyron Matthew there but it's going to be an interesting game this weekend and I'm hoping it'll be a somewhat of a repeat of the 2017 game between the Texans and the Seahawks when we saw Russell Wilson and Sean Watson go all guns are blazing. I'm hoping we'll get something
4: like that, but it all depends, I think, on, on how these two offensive lines can keep their keep their light, keep their their QBs upright. I would think that Tyron Matthew uh, wants to go ahead and get a little bit of payback for the uh, Texans for letting him go, uh, as well as the Cardinals. So, uh, you know, there's always an incentive when a player faces his old team, don't you think? Mm-hmm. I totally agree. You would imagine so, yes. I mean, the
5: Texans were keen to keep him. They did offer him some uh, deal, but at the end of the day, the, the uh, Chiefs just out-dealt out, out dealt the Texans, and the Texans at the time had Brian Gaines, GM, who was a very hesitant general manager, very hesitant in particular when it came to uh, releasing pocket change, so it doesn't really surprise me that he didn't end up signing with the Texans. But So I don't I don't really feel personally, I don't feel that he can have much in the way of bad blood between him and the Texans, but again, he was only there a year, so clearly he doesn't seem to feel too much
4: that. All right, so here, that's the question of the day, okay? Lewis and I have been through it. Now you get to do it. Uh, the Miami Dolphins against the Washington Redskins. Find me the name of a bowl game that describes this contest. I saw a fantastic graphic the other day on social media, and it was simply described as the tank bowl, and I love that. That's I love that, and I think that's perfect, because let's yeah. be honest, they are both, they're both looking to lose this so they can get the top pick next year. I think that's the way we're going at this point. Well, These teams are... are in a terrible position right now and I what? think the Tank Bowl is definitely the one I'm going to stick with. You're sticking with it and everybody else. Can you come up with something different anyway since since everybody's using social media? you got to come up with something <laughs> original. I'll give you a second choice but we'll still keep with your first one. Uh, let me think. If yeah. I'm not you need to bowls, think a little there, don't you? <laughs> that's, that's a tough pick. Should we just call it the Tua Bowl? The what? Well, the Tua. Well, i like that one. that one. Yeah. Take no, the No, I'll take that one. Okay. You're fine. All right, so all right, that's okay, It's original. We it looking something different, you gave it to us. So, all right, so let's uh, talk since they're having a game out in London this week, okay, you got the Buccaneers and the uh, Panthers. What are your homies going to say about this one? And what do you expect out of that game? I'm very excited for this game simply because I'm looking forward to seeing what
5: uh, what Christian McCaffrey can do. I mean, he has been unbelievable these last couple of weeks had over 200 yards again last week. Yes, he's, uh, I know he's a bit banged up because they're leaning on him so much, but I'm sure he's going to absolutely really ball out in London. It's going to be a fantastic game. I mean, last week went so well from London's point of view. The, the the stadium was fantastic. There were no issues at all. So I'm really looking forward to this. I think it's going to be very entertaining watching uh, Dominick and Sue up against, up against Christian McCaffrey there, and I'm hoping for a good matchup. But overall, I'm still going to say that the Panthers are going into it as the favourites personally. I'm still not convinced by the Bucks. 100%. Uh, I'm far more convinced by, uh, by the Packers than Carl Allen, to be honest. He's been a big surprise to me so far. I doubted it coming in, but he's not bad at all.
4: So I'm going to go for Carl Allen in this one. All right, well, since you're not going to be on the show before Tuesday, you get a crack at the Monday night game. you got the Detroit Lions and the Green Bay Packers. What's your take on this one, UK? This is a tough one to call because, again, the Packers were
5: very good for most of that Cowboys game last weekend, but they really sort of dissipated a bit towards the end, and they've got some injury issues. It's a close one because the Lions have been much better during the regular season than a lot of people, including myself, expected. I was not impressed by them whatsoever in preseason, but they seem to have gotten it together. And it's a tough one to call, but I'm going to go Packers because I really like this Packers defense, especially their secondary. I think they're extremely solid there, and I think the offense slowly but surely is coming out on the map of the floor there. Don't get me wrong, I think Patricia's doing a good job
4: up in, up in Detroit, but I'm still going to say that the uh, Packers, for me, are going to edge it. Okay, so tell me then: uh, Are the Packers going to get their points by running the football, and they're going to get it in the air? That's a tough one. I'm going
5: to stick with running the ball. I mean, Aaron Jones had just over 100 yards and four touchdowns in the last game. I mean, he was dominant to say the least. Um, but they have some good targets to to rely on in the passing game as well. And it's it's a tough one because I'm hoping they can get some more out of Jimmy Graham. That's something I still want to see a bit more from. I know they're starting to rely a little bit more on him here and there. But I'm hoping that he can really settle in the system and show what he can do alongside Aaron Rodgers. But I'm going to say that they're going to rely on what they know is working for them, which is Aaron
4: Jones. Well, let me ask you a question because then Lewis has a question he wants to ask you. Do you think I – I've worked with you for a while now. You know, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Do you think I ever come up with anything easy for you? Really? Okay. All right, Lewis, what do you want to ask him? I wasn't
2: going to ask him anything, but I was just pointing out, I mean, they did start to incorporate Graham, you know, last week in that game against Dallas. You know, he only – Rodgers targeted him three times, but, you know, 41 yards, you know, not great. It is the second-most yard in a game this year. He did have 62 week three. But he, I believe that was on, like, four or five catches. But, I mean, I think Aaron Jones could probably be your dual threat. You're going to be going to him a lot. You know, last week – 182 total yards, 107 on the ground, but 875 in the air. That was the most to any receiver that Rodgers threw to on Sunday. So I mean, if you know, if Aaron Jones cannot show show that he's more than a one trick pony for this last week against Dallas, I mean, he could be lethal, man. He could be a Pro Bowl caliber kind of back. You know, maybe I want to see him run over 20 yards on a single. Carry, he hasn't done that. He has actually gone more than 18 yards in a single carry this year. But I mean, if they keep relying on him, you know, keep working on that relationship between Rodgers and Graham, I mean, this Packers team could take off, man. I know they're already four and one now, but if Lafleur, you know, works on that red zone offense a little bit, I think that team's scary, man. Look to that. Look for them to be an NFC Super Bowl team if they keep going. Because
5: they're... what I really enjoyed, what I really enjoyed from that Cowboys game last week is that everyone was going into it, as far as I can tell. Talking and they, they would not stop talking about the Cowboys and how good they look and how consistent they were at the start of the season, yes they fell off a bit but they should be fine if you compare the sidelines, that's what really jumped out to me the Cowboys were silent for the majority of that game yes they did come back and they did a decent job in the fourth quarter but for the most part there was no communication nothing, then you look at the Packers and the camaraderie and the communication among that team looks fantastic, there's so much excitement on the sidelines, there's so much excitement among those teammates and I love to see that so I can't help but feel that you're right. I do think that they are one of the teams that perhaps we're not looking at as much as we should because clearly they're confident in themselves and they're confident in their coach. We can debate whether or not Aaron Rodgers is confident in the floor at this point in time, but I think they're certainly getting to that point where you can't dispute the fact that they're a good team this year.
4: All right, we'll, we'll get you out of here on this one note, okay, uh, and that's this. The Oakland Raiders are now 3-2 and two after five contests. Uh, do you think that they could be a, uh, a playoff-bound team, UK?
5: quite a quick improvement from them and what again what I enjoyed most from that Bears game was that they showed real grit they showed real determination towards the end I still want to see a bit more production from them on offense, not just Josh Jacobs I want to see more from Derek Carr and their receivers, I'd like to see even get Keelan Doss involved a little bit more, because I'm still not 100% convinced by this receiver core as it is now but I do think in how they're playing now if they can keep improving at the rate they are now They've got a decent chance of getting in at least as a wild card. I don't necessarily think they're going to win that division, but I think they've got a shot at a wild card spot. If they can keep improving at this rate, and that is the key. And something that's going to be interesting, I think, to keep an eye on with regards to the Raiders over the coming weeks, is do they end up bringing in Jake Gruden? I saw that rumor online that with him now going in uh, out of Washington, are they going to bring his brother going to bring him in there? And that will be something to keep an eye out for. And, and if he does, what sort of effect that would have on, on the offense?
4: Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see the Raiders get to the playoffs as far as they can. knowing it's their final year in Oakland for sure. So, if you, if there's a storyline, I'd like to see that would certainly be one. Uh, any uh, other game before I let you go uh, that you'd be paying attention to the most? We got like two minutes to go. <laughs> no, for me, I know this is predictable, but it is that Texans, Texans Chiefs That's the one I'm like, I've been excited about this for weeks.
5: Okay. I cannot wait. Uh, but I have to be what I'm most surprised about at this point in time. Seven minutes to go in the first quarter, still 0-0 between the Giants and the Patriots, which is a bit of a shock at this point in time, if I'm honest with you. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, – and, and I have to admit, I've been keeping a close. You'll be very proud of me, Scott. I've been keeping a close eye out on the, uh, the Rays Astros tonight as well because it's my home, my soul, hometown from home, uh, Houston there. So uh, I've been keeping a close eye on that from what I know from baseball, which is very little.
4: You know I'm what? Relatively, promised, relatively Anthony, promising. I will say on national radio, I am proud of you. <laughs> now I just have to get you into soccer or cricket. I will uh, we'll do it. Well, you know, uh I have a background with soccer, but we'll uh I me- remember I gave you an opportunity uh to uh go ahead and talk about soccer and if it were only you, I did it. So, uh you know, that's okay. I'm impressed. So, and you know, so one other thing I, that just came to mind, uh what kind of a week do you think DeAndre Hopkins is going to have? Does he blow it up? Oh, sorry. Can you repeat that? Sure. Sorry, what kind of a no. that's okay. What kind of a week do you think DeAndre Hopkins is going to have?
5: I think again, it's going to be a relatively quiet one because, and we've seen this throughout the season, they're teams they keep underestimating the rest of that Texans receiver core, and especially showing in the very versatile backs, especially Duke Johnson, who's a receiving threat, and okay. the depth of their tight end group as well. They're focusing so much on Hopkins that the rep, there's so many other receivers that they're, they're the main focus now, For, for, just for as far as Deshaun Watson's concerned. They'll get the ball to Hopkins. I mean, he still had 88 yards last week, but he's not necessarily getting the numbers. But it's a bit like the situation with J.J. Watt. These two superstars getting so much attention from opposing teams that everyone else is getting a little bit forgotten about, and
4: they're the ones profiting. So I think that trend is probably going to continue. Okay. Well, that's fair enough for me. So, uh I may not like what you said, but i I got to hope that uh, Hopkins is pretty well. But all right, well, I'll tell you what. I'll I'll be up in Jacksonville this weekend with Candy, so we'll give you the inside scoop on the Jaguars and the Saints. Well, here, why don't you give me your prediction on that one now that I talked about it real quickly. Jaguars, Saints, tough one. I'm still
5: going to have to go Saints, though. Uh, Say 24 nineteen, something along those lines. Okay. It's gonna be a close one. I do like I do like Minshew. I love what Sharks has been doing this season, but there's something about even, even on the Teddy Bridgewater I mean, Teddy Bridgewater's looked really, really good.
4: Okay. Well that's that's okay. That's why they brought him in there. So if he doesn't become Breeze's heir apparent, at least he has some good work on tape that somebody else will sign him. So all right, Anthony, once Absolutely. again, uh, good job. Anything you want to add before we go? No, I mean,
2: let's hope New England actually makes this game the drumming we're prophesizing it's going to be. I mean, 0-0, the first quarter's <laughs> almost over. It's more than halfway done. Well, maybe exactly. Mother Nature we could, my... we could look ridiculous if this game. If... Uh, <laughs> let's, <laughs> no, let's just say this real quick. Let's just say this real quick. Sony Michel's got to get it going on the ground, man. He really hasn't done that much this year. Four carries so far tonight and just six yards. He's averaging three yards a carry this year. What's going on? But, you know, that's a conversation yeah, he, for another day. not having the season we
4: expected, is he? No, not at all. Well, no, we'll see what happens. I know the other subject that I forgot to mention—that we will get down to second-time head coaches. Didn't get around to it today because we have a lot of things going on, but that's something we're going to be talking about soon enough. So, all right, Anthony. Absolutely. Uh, a job well done tonight, and we will do this again on Tuesday night. Thank you, Anthony Wood. I'll be in charge. Look forward to it. Have a good weekend. You bet. Great job. Take care. So. Thanks. You're welcome. So what's your take of what Anthony had to say? I mean, let's
2: focus in on the Chiefs game real quick. Sure. I mean, the biggest thing with Deshaun Watson, and I've always agreed, I mean, he's a fantastic quarterback. I mean, I'd argue he's top 12 in the league at this point. But, you know, there's only been two games in his career, and he's played nearly 40 games in the NFL now where he has not been victim of the pass rush. Two games in his career, Scott, where he has not drawn a sack. That last game, my birthday, October 25th, last year, against our Miami Dolphins in which Deshaun Watson put up five touchdowns, passing that... A, Q, a QBR rate, a passer rating of 156, the second highest mark of his career, only to last week's drumming of the Falcons. So, I mean, yeah, the secret to Deshaun Watson is get to him with the pass rush. The problem is the Chiefs do not have a good defense, the 25th overall ranked defense this year as far as average yards allowed per game. So, I mean, again, we know the Chiefs don't have a big defense, same way that the Falcons do. The problem is. Patrick Mahomes, at this point, is arguably the best quarterback in the NFL. Matt Ryan's still a very good quarterback. I would argue still top 10, maybe even top 8. You know, he hasn't thrown a game under 300 passing yards in the last seven weeks, dating back to the last season. But again, those two defenses are not good. You know, you get the 23rd-ranked defense in the Falcons, 25th in the Chiefs. I just think Mahomes is better enough to offset some of those defensive woes. But yeah, I mean, if Mahomes is healthy, then honestly, this game could go either way. But if Mahomes is healthy, I got Kansas City win this game. It's going to be a high-scoring game, though. Like you said, it's going to be a shootout.
4: Yeah, well, that's what everybody's talking about, that's true, so, all right, well, with that said, folks, uh, Mel Far should be coming on any moment, uh, Mel uh, probably will not be talking football tonight, so uh, uh, he lives in the Atlanta area, so uh, when Mel comes on, we'll definitely be talking about the Braves, it's certainly not a beat that he will be uh, dealing with a lot, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, uh, we'll see what he has to say, so... Uh, and then we have a, we'll have we be talking some baseball tonight when it comes to the uh, division series. So with that said, uh, we want to welcome Mel Farr uh, to the show. Uh, Mel, thank you very much for being on the Sports Exchange. We appreciate you.
1: No problem. My pleasure. How's everything
4: going? Uh, everything's going very nice. Thank you very much. You're uh, uh, on the line for the first time with uh, Louis Adio Weiss. Well, I believe new... we
2: spoke last week.
4: Did you? Yeah. Well, oh, spoke... that's all right. Well, that's the second... Well, how be darned how time flies. Okay, well, <laughs> pretend it was your first time to make me look smarter and disc-kitty with you guys. So he's a regular. You guys are no both. No problem. problem. I
1: just want to take a quick moment to uh, express my condolences to to your partner, to Peter. I heard that his wife passed away, and just want to let him know that my thoughts and prayers are with
4: him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you, Mel. I'm sure he'd appreciate appreciate that. So, uh, it, it's hard. Uh, I was at the funeral on Sunday, and. The guy was mentally drained, and uh, so, yeah, it's it's tough. But I'll, I'll make sure that he gets those wishes, that's for sure. So Thank you. Okay. Now, should I be expressing condolences to the Atlanta Braves? Yeah, that was ugly. Yeah, wasn't it? That was ugly. You know, we <laughs>
1: talked
4: about it last week, I think a little bit, and I was expecting the Braves and the Dodgers to go watch my Dodgers play down here, but uh, neither one of them made which is really <laughs> surprising. But... Well, the Braves, that game
1: was over in 26 minutes. Yeah. T- took all the air out of the stadium.
4: Well, funny oh. you s- say that, too, because I did watch it for then, and when I saw it was a 10 to nothing, it was easy for me to say that it was over pretty quickly so I could prepare for three shows. It didn't matter. So uh, not like I was re- missing a thriller. <laughs> so. No, not at all. That was over quick. I mean, at least it
1: was a quick death. You know, it didn't, it, it didn't, make, it, it didn't make anybody suffer. Was
2: quick and now, Mel, I got a question for you, because I'm sure, I don't know if Scott briefed you, but, you know, baseball's my primary sport, and, you know, I watched that series, too. Obviously, we can talk about Ronald Acuna not hustling in Game 1 on that play he was doubled off on in the seventh inning of that first game, but what do you think the biggest problem for the Braves was? I just really thought the starting pitching was really weak. The team on base percentage was 302 for the entire series, but Freddie Freeman obviously wasn't healthy. You know the bullpen didn't look good. Nevich last night was horrendous. He gave up seven runs in a third of an inning. But what do you think really was their Achilles' heel throughout the entire series? Uh,
1: their, their meat of the order didn't hit. You know you talk about Freddie Freeman, uh, McCann, you know that, that, those guys that were they left too many bases, too many base runners stranded on on base. That that meat of the order, that that four, five, six part of the order, wasn't hitting. Didn't bring in any runs. You can't leave guys stranded like that. I mean, runs are a premium uh, when, you, when you're talking about, especially when you, when you get into the playoffs, you know, advancing the runners. And when you get the runner on base, you got to bring them home somehow, some way. And the, the, the heart of the order was was not very good throughout the series. I can't remember exactly what the batting average was, but I, I want to say it was in the 190s.
2: 225 so total. Total team batting average of 225 for the entire season. No, no, I'm station.
1: talking about for that, for that part of the batting order was only like 181, something like that. So when, when you're batting like that and you're not getting those guys in, it's, uh, it makes it very difficult. But, you know, had chances. And any time you get to a single-game elimination, you just never know. And you never want to get into a situation where you have a single-game elimination. And they had an opportunity in, in game four. And you know, sometimes when you when you know you have that extra game, you're like, okay, well, I'm no big deal. We'll just get them the next time. That's not how it works, you know. Those guys are, you know, they they go get a paycheck too every week, and those coaches, those managers over there,
2: they get a paycheck as well. And anything can happen on one given day. That's why you never want to go down to a deciding game if you can help it. And I'm gonna I'm gonna post a quandary here, Melon. Let me know if you agree with me. I think on paper. We can argue that the Atlanta Braves are the better team in this, in, in this series between them and the Cardinals. I mean, you, obviously you have the studs in Acuna and Albies who are locked up for long-term extensions. You have the young pitching in Max Freed and Sean Newcomb and those, and those likes, you know, and Fulton former Houston Astro, Shane Green, who they recently acquired, Luke Jackson you know, Dallas Keuchel, who came in and gave them a big boost in the second half of the season. But what the Cardinals did is whats is what they've always done is they played with heart. Look at Yadier Molina. Look at the veteran Adam Wainwright, 37-year-old Adam Wainwright. Who knows if he's going to pitch in the league again this year, considering his age, his injury history, and the fact that, you know, he's he may be retiring after this season, after a, re- a tremendous career. And on retirement, you know, Brian McCann hung it up after the game last night. I'm sure both of you guys saw that. But I just think... St. Louis willed themselves to win this series the same way they did in 2011 when Wainwright went down with Tommy John surgery. And we're wondering at the outset of spring training, Scott and Mel, what's going to happen? What are the Cardinals going to do? Their best pitcher, you know, arguably at that time, maybe the third best pitcher in baseball to Clayton Kershaw and Adam Wainwright. They willed themselves. Chris Carpenter, they win the World Series. The ERA for the Cardinals in this series, collectively, 260 for the Braves, almost 5-473. You're not going to win playoff series with that. This isn't
4: the 2004 Red Sox. Well, again, though, the one thing that can't be lost sight is we're talking baseball, okay? We're not talking some of the other sports. A lot of times when you have the other sports, that decisive game really does matter at home. Not so with baseball, though, because, you know, unlike the NBA, the NHL, and maybe even football, you don't have that one guy that can really dominate on a consistent basis as much as you would when you— When you have nine guys versus five at a time, you know, for, you know, hockey, you're superstars. So it becomes more of a psychological chess match amongst the managers. And and statistics are magnified a lot more, which is your forte anyways. So, but yeah, you know what I mean, Mel? So, I mean, you don't have that one glaring superstar that's going to carry you on his uh, team. I mean, if you had a pitcher that carries you on his team, he's only going to pitch once every four or five days anyways
1: that's one win that you can count on. You know that you can count on that guy. And then, you know, sometimes they might squeeze him in in a seven-game series. You might get him in there three times, and then, you know, if you need him, he might come in there and do some relief work. But at least you know you got that horse that you can depend on, that you know that every time he goes out there, you can count him as a W because he's throwing BBs. So that makes it real tough. And that's the thing. You know, some teams are built with pitching, great pitching. Other teams, like the Yankees, they've always had great hitting and, you know, you know, some, some a little bit of pitching, maybe, you know, uh, you know, a closer or something like that, but as far as starting pitching, it was a little suspect. So when I, most times when you see great pitching
2: against great hitting, usually great pitching wins out. And Scott, you touched on a good point there earlier where you said that managing in the playoffs is a totally different animal. Right. And I give... Mike Schulte, a ton of credit for what he did in the series. The way that he maneuvered his bullpen, you know, getting Andrew Miller, who was a lights out for the Indians in 2016, lights out for the Orioles in 2014. Same thing with the Red Sox in the playoffs in 2013. He managed his pitching very well, for the exception of Carlos Martinez, who wasn't relatively good in the series. We saw the home run, he gave it to Acuna, then coming back in Game 3 and doing it again. But I think you'd agree that managing in the postseason, and Scott and me were discussing this before the show, is a lot different than you would manage in the regular season because of how shortened and condensed these series are.
1: Absolutely, and every every, every at-bat is critical. And so there's a chess match going on constantly with these managers as far as trying to get favorable matchups right. against pitching or against hitters, whatever whichever one it may be, because every at-bat counts. Because if you can get a guy on base and you get that guy moved over and get him in scoring position, you can get a guy at the plate and bring that guy around, that just gives you the better, the best chance or, or, or a better chance to win and succeed in, in the series. So, yeah, everything is magnified in the playoffs. That's why I like watching the playoffs in baseball. The regular season because it's so long and drawn out. I mean, the team can go on a 20, 20 game losing streak and still make the playoffs. Yeah, right. And, you
4: know, we don't have that. We don't have that in football. No, that's you true. Know, we don't have that football. But a team can do that. They can go 10, 15 games. You
1: know, losing streak and still make the playoffs. But the playoffs is where it counts. That, that, that's where you earn your money. And you know, there were some questionable management decisions yesterday. You know, particularly when you look at the Dodger game, there's you know, you know, people have a lot of questions about why they brought in Clayton Kershaw at
4: that particular time instead of going to you know Jansen if you needed just six outs. And you're advancing to the
1: to the championship
4: series. Right, we got like four minutes to go, Lewis, You had one. Yeah, no,
2: and, and I mean I can talk all day about Kershaw, but I'm not going to even delve into that right now. But if we were to you know sum up this Cardinals Braves series, and I thought honestly this was the best series of the four that we saw. What are two storylines you could draw from it? And I'm going to pose my two right now. Or I guess three. Ronald Acuna Jr. solidified himself as a star. I mean, this guy was a great player. He almost went 40-40 in the regular season. The numbers offensively were off the charts. The OPS was nearly 1,500 in the series. But then again, you know, he's got those mental bursts on the base pass. But another thing I'm going to note, Jack Flaherty. Make it, you know, stamp that name right now. Remember it, Scott. Remember it, Mel. This guy is going to win a Cy Young Award someday. A 0.91 ERA in the second half. He was terrific in the two games that he started in this series. And you know what? I think he's going to be their biggest weapon. If they're going to get to the World Series, they're going to have to rely on the right arm of Jack Flaherty and that lethal slider. Now, what, I mean, what storyline stuck out to you guys, though? I guess I'll start with you, Mel. Well, I think that, you know, it, you have to learn how to win. And, you know, the Braves are a young team. And these are the growing pains that you go through. Getting to the next level, right.
1: I think that you know they've gotten these got they've gotten this experience, and they'll be better for it. They're going to learn from it. I mean, if you look at any championship teams, most championship championship teams, it, it, it's a process right.
4: to get there. Oh yeah. um, you know, like you know the Pistons back in you know when they're when they're. When they were dominating, it was a process for right. them to beat the Celtics. It took time for them to beat the Celtics, but finally when they beat the Celtics,
1: then they are able to repeat. So I think with the Braves, I think this is going to be, obviously it hurts, it's painful for the Atlanta Braves fans, but I think it's going to help them. It's going to give help them build character, and the next time they find themselves in this situation, they'll figure out a way to
4: win. Well, you know, Mal, you did something that most people really don't do. You got me to shut up on this one because I was thinking the Pistons, but you said it with about another minute and a half to go. You took the words right out of my mouth, and that doesn't happen too often, buddy. But, yeah, it was a process. They they had to overcome their issues at the Boston Garden, and then, of course, they ultimately overtook the Celtics, and we all know what happened there. So, yeah, you know what, Lewis? Malfar pretty much answered what it, my thoughts are there. For the Braves, it is a process.
2: And— yeah, and you know what? We did see that. Remember the Braves in the early 90s? They lost in 92 to the Blue Jays. Remember the Sid Bream game in 92 also? Right,
4: yeah, I remember that. And, and so, then
2: it wasn't until 95 that they won. Tom right, and so, 8 shutout innings.
4: Well, again, the word process is what it is. And Mel summarized it best, and I'm glad you brought the Pistons up because, you know, let's not forget that they made it to the finals three straight years in a row is what they did. They lost to the Lakers in seven, then they won two in a row after that. So you yeah, know, and I cover those teams. So it was pretty interesting stuff. So, uh, any closing thoughts, Mel? No, actually, you know, I was just going to tell you when you when you said we we're going to talk about baseball. It's funny.
1: My dad always said baseball was my no better sport. Believe it or not. Yeah. Well, I, was, I was a baseball player. I think it was 1977 when Reggie Jackson hit those three home runs in, in the game. In, yep. Game. In, game. In game in for, October. He earned right. his name, Mister October. All right.
4: 1978. 70 we we, I, we got Mark Lutell calling. I'm sorry. All right, no problem. Alright, thank you. Well take care.
2: Take
4: care. Bye bye. Bye. Hey Mark, how you doing? Thank you for being hey, pretty good, Scott. Thanks for being on the Sports Exchange. Really what a nice segue from Melfar talking baseball to you talking lots yeah. of baseball. How about that?
2: Yeah, it's uh, kids the season, you might say.
4: Okay oh, my main man Mark. Yeah, you, I got you guys back together here, Mark and Lewis. The bands band back together. Lewis. What's going yeah, on? Yeah, we're
2: looking for, going gonna go at the uh, the playoffs here, you know, pretty quick. Uh, they got Houston. What's the score of that game? They started that thing yet? Or yeah, 4-1 Houston, bottom five right now. You got, you know, well, Garrett Cole doing Garrett Cole things.
6: Right. Well, there you go. You never know. Uh, just like the last uh, with the Nationals and also the Cardinals, you know. Uh, 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 so it came, came upside down.
4: Thanks for being back, Mark. I knew I'd get you two back together, so I was even telling Louis that uh, maybe hopefully at the end of the month we'll be able to do a mini-show all three of us together. You like that idea? Oh, yeah, for sure. We'll definitely do that. So let's focus on the business at hand tonight. Okay, I know there's a lot of topics I want to get to, uh, and then we'll just go ahead and have fun with it. Let's start off with the fact, Mark, that there's eight managerial openings with the Gabe Kapler firing today. Those, op- those openings, you yeah, had the Phillies, the Angels, the Cubs, the Giants, Mets, Royals, Padres, and the Pirates, six of them were National League clubs. What, what's your take on the amount of uh, pink slips that were handed out, although two of them were retirees, or one of them was. Well, you know, uh, it,
6: it, the game's changed a little bit because of the analytics, and you're trying to find out, you know, if Harvard's going to be Brown or Yale. So that's what you're trying to put up with at this point is to see uh, well, somebody's analytics fail. They said, well, I guess we got to get rid of the manager. And that's not always the case because the Mets brought back a very old pitching coach, if I'm not mistaken, that was probably close to 80 years
2: old. Phil Regan was 82. There you go. (laughs) I'm
6: I'm sure he he might not even be able to spell analytics. But (laughs) uh, the the funny thing was is that... uh, you know, you got the, you know, uh, gosh, you got so many. I, I mean, I think is going to go to the Cubs. I think uh, uh, Joe Madden. He, he was with the Angels for 30 years. I knew him out there because when I coached, at, you know, I'd bump into him at the minor leagues, you know, in the minor league system.
7: Mm.
6: And then you've got so many other, but, you know, you've got a lot of these guys that will be retreads, you know, maybe you, know, you might be shuffling from one club to the other, uh, to the other club. And uh, I don't think Green's going to be back with anybody, actually. Uh, Kappler is a an outfielder, if I'm not mistaken, so he doesn't know pitching. So he's out of luck. Uh, let us see. So, I don't
2: know. A lot of things. Now, Mark, on that idea of the managerial vacancies, I mean, I've heard about Madden linked to the Angels for a while, and I would love to see Mike Trout playing under him because of obviously Madden's pedigree at turning teams around but we've seen that with guys like Showalter too who in my opinion could be the best option for the Mets but what do you hear about this idea of him possibly being a candidate for the Phillies job he is a Pennsylvania native I believe he grew up pretty close to where Citizens Bank Park currently is I mean could you imagine Bryce Harper playing under him and maybe he learned something from him well, yeah, but, you know, Machado,
6: uh, you know, was talking to him about, you know, you know look at uh, Buck Showalter for the Padres job. And, uh, you know, he sure does talk like a redneck because I know Buck a little bit. And my brother, he went to Mississippi State. I do know that. And
2: uh, so he did get a little redneck blood running. In. Uh, Showalter, anyway. Yeah. Now, Showalter, I've heard linked to the Padres as well. That's interesting, though. But, you know... Do you, do you think the hiring of Madden would have drastic implications on how, you know, game decisions were run with the Angels moving forward because we've heard about Brad Osmus even, you know, understand he's an he's an Ivy League grad, I believe he went to Yale if I'm not mistaken or Duke I'm not well, well,
6: yeah, he's too smart. See?
2: Absol- <laughs> absolutely. And I've always found him a little strange how he at some points embraced analytics and he wasn't too keen on them. But do you how would you see Madden's play style, um, managing style altering the way that the Angels play, because we've seen earlier this year they did implement the opener, which the Rays have been using, and in fact, they've actually brought Blake Snell out of the bullpen to pitch in this game after Glassnell threw a little bit more than three innings. But, could you see Madden really having a drastic effect on that Angels team, a team that's only been to the playoffs once since Mike Trout has been a player on that roster?
6: Yeah, because uh, you know, Madden just, uh, is, is just uh a plain old good plain old guy you know he just you know let's play baseball he's not somebody that's uh you know worrying about another okay we, we have to do this or we have to do this i mean anytime you say we have to do something you're setting yourself up to fail you know he just he just says let's go out and get them and let the players play that's that's what a lot of managers don't do sometimes i don't i played for you know why I bring why you up because well I was lucky, and he's a Hall of Fame manager, not that that means anything, but, you know, there's some people that should should be in the Hall of Fame, and some shouldn't, uh, if, you, if you look, if you know the people, but the funny th- thing is with uh, Whitey, he just let you play, he, he just let you play out there, if you didn't play, or if, you know, and you always hustled around Whitey, uh, if you were below grade, he'd, well, he'd probably trade you or send you out somewhere, so... You know, it's the old deal. bust your butt all the time, and you know Madden expects the same thing.
2: Absolutely, that, that's the thing about Madden. You know, everybody says, "Well, he didn't do his
6: job." Well, actually, it was the players that didn't do their job. It wasn't Madden? You know, he didn't have the, he didn't have the, the the right players at the right time for the, the run of the last six weeks, and it fell apart. And that's just the way it was.
2: Oh, I totally same. agree. Considering the fact that you know, I really even at the outset of this season, if I'm not sure if you concur with me. But their starting rotation was a lot older. John Lester, you know, given his playoff of rogue, Scott, we know what he did with the Red Sox and the Cubs coming right. out of the opening in Game 7. Right. You know, and pitch, giving sure. yep. him that length. But, you know, he, he's getting older. He didn't have a great year this year. Jose Quintana's older. He had a very up-and-down year this year. You Darvish showed flashes near the end of the season, arguably those last 20 starts, where he kind of simplified things. We saw the same pitcher who was, you know, would you probably like, Mark, you know, big fireballer from the right side, although, I mean, he's an anomaly for a Japanese pitcher, throws so hard, but he's got a bevy of pitches, a very American delivery for a pitcher from Japan. We saw him show flashes again, but then at the same time, you you know, you can't necessarily blame everything on Madden when that team he was running out there wasn't put together by him.
6: Well, the other factor is that, you know, it's all according to how you use your pitchers. You know, you Darvish, they got the year before, and, and he was basically shot coming into the Cubs, you know. And so they, they had to, you know, basically rest him for, you know, three-quarters of the, the first season before he actually started throwing a little bit better. And, uh, and he, you know, he got some rest. But that, that's exactly I mean. If you, if you saw Darvish pitch in the playoffs, you thought he, he was like a little leaguer. He was, he was well below bat speed. So, uh, that's why he probably got a few outs. (laughs) And then they finally said, hey, just just go ahead and got it tonight. You
4: know, his his arm sucks, you know, it's it's shot. So, Mark, my question to you is this, okay, and I know it depends on every situation, but what do you think at what point uh, for a manager that you need a new voice, every five or six years where the message gets a little stale?
6: Uh, you're probably close, you know, right there. I mean, of course,
7: Lasorda was a one-year contract guy for a long time. So was Walter Austin. But right. that was back in a the, the different era. And right. it was a different day. You know, now you've got to hold these guys' attention. you got to jump through hoops and, you know, turn somersaults and everything else. And, uh, and yet be calm and bite your tongue or, they'll, or those players will get you fired. Right. You know. So, you know, uh, it, it, it's... You walk into a clubhouse and, and they're still playing Xbox back in the back room back there in their, in their television room, you know. So, uh,
6: you know, you, you get on somebody about playing Xbox. I'm sure they're gonna, you know, be a little bit hot. But don't don't let it offend
4: them so much. <laughs> yeah, Whatever. no, I, I'm with you. Sorry. Right, so let's let's look at some of these managerial openings that you have. I know that Mike Socha. Is a name that people have talked about going probably down to the Padres. I think that would be an interesting uh, thing. I know Buckshaw Walter is a name that's been brought up in a few places. Kepler gets fired because the uh, Phillies owner wanted really an experienced guy. And I'm not going to sit here and try to pick where who's going to go, but we have eight openings. Do the best you can to think uh, with some of these who you, what guys might be the right fit to the best of your ability.
6: Well, already mentioned too that I felt but but, But, you know Solskja was with the Angels and he didn't do anything for any amount of time over there. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, nothing. And he's a great guy. He's a really good baseball man. But you know what? I don't think he talks the lingo with this crowd
7: today. No.
2: Mark, I totally agree with you. I mean, we've had a lot of, there's been a lot of scouts I mean, you know, you expect scouts to just kind of, like, analyze players, but a lot of people have said about Socha the general notion surrounding him, is he hasn't adapted with the analytics, and that he hasn't been willing to work with the front office on game plans, and that, Scott and Mark, has been part of his downfall. I just
6: think he doesn't, uh, I don't think he has the, talks the lingo with the, the players, though, you know, and the players actually, they get a good read on this, it's... You know, that's the ones that that are between the lines out there. Right. Your analytics is okay. It's okay, but you, are you going to tell me that you're going to you know tell that to the pitcher on, on the Cardinals, Martinez, about analytics? Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, he can't even come close to spelling his own language. <laughs> you know, it ain't gonna, it ain't gonna happen you know and if you look at the dog here's the funny thing that some ownership or some general managers or some farm directors maybe don't understand that have never pitched but if you sit there and i've said this many times watch where the catcher sets up watch where the ball ends up it doesn't always end up where they set up you know so don't tell me because I know many times I was outside the zone and the hitter would swing at it and my pitching coach would say like I did, was the same way he said nice pitch, is that really where you wanted it and we'd both laugh as I'd come off the mound, you know, into the dugout so, come on gentlemen, you know get with it, wake up, (laughs) watch the strike zone, you know uh, sure the ball falls it all the way in you know, on those little you know, analytic things through, through the strike zone plate, but look where the ball goes and look where the, the hitter swings. You know, if he, the hitter gets himself out, the pitcher doesn't really get him out so much. It's the pit, it's the hitter that gets himself out.
4: That's you true. Know? So, do you want to take any other educated guess uh, guesses at all about certain? Okay. Oh, m- well, let me see who you got. Mets. I don't even know. I don't think Girardi's going to go there. Okay. You know,
6: I think is going to end up – he's a Peoria, Illinois boy, and I think he's going to – and Northwestern, I think he's going to end up with the Cubs. I thought you know? that too. Okay, go ahead. It's, a, it's kind of a no-brainer. But, you know, you, I don't know who they've got in the mix. And you know, you got Kapler over there. you got all these other guys uh, getting fired. Has you know, it, Dave Roberts been fired yet? We don't know that yet. But anyway, I'm just saying. <laughs> so, you got you, these guys,
7: but it's kind of like there's so much to pick from out there. Okay, anymore. Uh, that
6: it it's a wild it's it's a it's it's a, it's called a wag in my situation that's that's called a wild ass guess actually and, uh, <laughs> like that. That, good, so that that's exactly oh. what this whole thing's about you know is people can throw all these names out and then you know well do they have somebody in the system probably not, but they want experience everybody look, looks for experience. And they said, well, wh- what about Boachy? Is-, is he down? Yeah, Boach is probably down, but you know, I always heard he might, you know, pick up uh, the Padres down there because he's going back to, that's where he lives, you know, he and Kim. That's where they live, out in San Diego. I wouldn't see. Just because he said he wasn't going to manage anymore didn't mean that because I know Boach.
2: And it's interesting. I'm I hmm. sorry. sorry, Mark, what were you saying? Well, I mean, I was with Boach for a year, and so I know him pretty well. I was his pitching coach in
6: uh, in High Desert, and. Uh, in A-ball, in high A-ball in the California League. So I know him
2: pretty well. And it's funny, though, that when he's actually been asked by a couple reporters if he's wanted to manage again, and he ha- and he's really hasn't totally ruled it out, given with his bo- right. with his body language. And I think he's a baseball lifer, and that's what a lot of these guys are. Buck Walter, Jim Leland, you know, Scott, they never played in the major leagues. Bruce Buck, right. was a catcher on the 84 Padres, a team right. that went to the World Series and lost to your Detroit Tigers. Team highlighted by Willie Hernandez and Jack Morris. All
4: right, look at this guy, Mark. He's on a roll, man. We got him rolling, don't we, buddy? But, um, well,
6: you I, know, here's the other thing is, is Boach has heart issues, you know, like me. And so, I, I, I think Kim's told him, he said, you need to stay down for a while, then come back. Maybe, who knows? But I'm just saying, that he could, he, he's hard headed. You know, he likes that. He likes to be on that baseball field. There's no, no doubt about it. But there's a lot of baseball people out there. And, you know, a lot of people getting interviewed for these jobs and, uh, you know, some of these young pups are uh, that can relate to, uh, I don't know, some of the some of the, uh, the, the younger, younger and older guys. The, the, the teams that win, it seems like, to me, are the ones that have the, a good mix of young and old. What? And the, the chemistry is right there. If you have all old guys, it's not going to work. I've seen that, you know. And then, you know, it's like the Yankees used to in the late 70s when they had all those – you know, uh, money teams right there. When they first really started, you know, going in for those money teams, that didn't work either. You know, so uh, they got burned a whole lot, and uh, it just it just never seemed to work. And then you know, you've got the young teams on the rebuild, now like Atlanta. You right. know, well, they're short about a pitcher or two right now, and but uh, you know, if they get a pitcher or two, you know, they're gonna, they're, maybe maybe they would have beat the Cardinals. Who knows?
2: And, Mark, and that's interesting. You know, the Braves actually have a relatively big pockets to spend. I mean, we've seen them yeah, spend before. They gave, you know, Acuna eight for 100 million, Albies seven for 35. They spent on uh, BJ Upton, now Melvin Upton Jr. in the offseason before the 2013 yeah. season. That never worked out. But could you see them, and you said they're a pitcher or two short, could you see them going after a guy like Garrett Cole? We've heard him link to the Angels, and you know, obviously the guy was terrific this year. Scott, I'm not sure if you're aware. 326 strikeouts this year, the most since Kurt Schilling in 2002, 313. Very well
4: aware, Lewis. Okay, I follow this game too. Maybe not like you from a statistical standpoint, but I follow it. Yes, but I am aware.
2: Could you see the uh, Braves actually making an attempt at a guy like Cole, who's projected to get between 220, 250 million for, say, six or seven years?
6: Yeah, you know I could, but because, but the, here's the here's the other side. You know, is they uh, they're, they're what's what's their big punchline? Their big sales job. You know, to Cole is he's going to say, well, okay, the money's fine, but where are you going? You know, for the the series, we've got some young guys here. You know, you, you just saw us compete in the playoffs. We need you out there, and then we will compete. You know, and that's 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 their sales pitch right there.
4: Yeah, so. I, think, I think the one thing that tends to get lost in all of this, though, I think the owners are getting smarter that they don't want pitchers for more than five or six years anyways, because the back end of those contracts are really not very good. Uh, you know, David how about Price, three years, maybe? Well, th- no, that's what I was thinking, too, Mark. <laughs> I mean, David Price is a classic example of that. Mm-hmm. So, right. All right, so right. you know what? We'll get out the managerial thing, because I know Lewis is really chomping at the bit for this one, so we're going to go ahead and put you on the spot, Okay. Do the Dodgers um, keep Dave Roberts? Well, you know he, he's a he, he's, he's a company man. You know he's a
6: you know he's a Dodger type of guy. But you know uh, you you have you have really no control over you know him throwing a baseball for some of the best pitchers you know, supposedly that they. You know, the Dodgers do always
7: have and the Dodgers is basically a pitching organization. Right. Always has been, always will be. Mhm. And uh, the funny thing is
6: is oh, I know when I go on my Facebook and I, I I have many different clubs that I I I go after and read and uh, the fans always they always talk a lot about the hitters and when they should be talking more about the pitching. And uh, I don't I think they understand. Well, this guy's a great big bopper. Well, so what? You know, good pitching gets good hitting out any day, and uh, you know that's true. And if you got a closer in there, that, that's I mean, a real legitimate closer that can come in and nail it. That, that's another thing. I mean, if you've got three starters and you've got <clears throat> uh, kind of a, a decent two guys out in the in the pen with a real closer. I mean, that's, that's serious playoff, you know, knocking on the door the series type stuff. If you've got two starters out of the five, and you've got, you know, two mediocre guys, and you've got a closer by committee, you don't know what's going to happen. Right. You know, so it, it's it's pretty, it, it's basically shit shot. So, who knows? You're throwing a coin up and flipping.
4: All right, but, but getting back to Robert. So, yeah, I, I don't think he's going to get fired. I think you're right. He is a Dodgers <laughs> company man. I think he's safe. All right, so with that said, we'll stay with the Dodger theme for a moment. Clayton Kershaw's obviously had some postseason struggles. It was evident mm-hmm. once again uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in the deciding game. Is that a mental thing for him, or is, are some guys just meant to be regular season guys and postseason guys? I can't figure that one out. He's
6: got uh, he's a lot of bullets. You know, at the end of the year, I mean, he's used like a number one guy should be. He's, he's pitching against the other side, number one guy. So he has to show up and compete at a very high level. So he goes out there for twenty-six to thirty starts, you know, when he's healthy, and he's tired at the end of the season. Plus, you know, he's not a spring chicken anymore as far as uh, you know going out there. People have seen him; a lot of hitters have seen him. And the other factor is, is like I said, I'm going to come back to the bullet part. He's throwing a lot of bullets, and his arm has taken a lot of hits in there. Okay. So I mean, I mean, just because it pitchers wear out <laughs> come on they yeah. wear out no. folks I mean good grief I wore out after a certain amount of time myself and you know it was all over and he goes down it, you go downhill fast just cause he's a big left handed pitcher that can reach his uh, hand right in, in, into the plate doesn't mean he's gonna get outs all the time obviously okay. apparently
4: they, they you know they uh, he threw some balls in the nitro so I'm going the shit out of them well, let's they blow go up Let's go back to the last game, uh, Game Five, obviously uh, with the Grand Slam by Washington in the tenth. The first time that the uh, that franchise has been to the uh, uh, NLCS since 1981. Is that? It, what are your thoughts about the way that ended in a Grand Slam fashion? Well, you know, it, 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 obviously
6: I don't think you know Cal, he didn't have his stuff, and uh, that night, and he sent, they sent him out there for the second inning. And uh, you know, it just it just didn't happen. So they had seen Kelly before as well, and uh, when they put him back out, that's that's when the, the real damage was done. And uh, that that could have been a, a different. I, you know, the thing is, it's hard to speculate on my part even because Dave Robertson, his pitching coach, they know. What's going on with those pitchers? How they how, What's going on with those arms? It's at the end of the season. They've thrown a lot of pitches already. They're yeah. shot. Come on, folks. Yeah. You now people don't think about that. They are shot. Mhm. I, uh, I mean, I mean they're 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 doing their thing, but they some of those guys might not have that extra little run. They might not have that the RPMs on the ball to make it do what they need to have it do. Uh you know, they might not have the bite. They might not have the tilt. You know, they not, uh, and the, But the one thing is they can still change speeds a little bit, and that's why you see more off-speed pitches toward you know from the middle of the year down. And, you know, you'll, you'll see that. You'll see a lot of no-hitters, I think, more in, in the, first, the first half than you will
4: in the second half because pitchers are pretty fresh as well, and the hitters aren't as sharp. That's a good point, Mark. Okay, so yesterday we saw a uh, 10-run first inning by the St. Louis Cardinals. And that game was over before it started, and I know the pitcher, uh... Fla-
2: Jack Flaherty, Jack- tremendous in his two starts. Yeah,
4: he was tremendous. Uh, what's your take on uh, not only that 10-run first inning, the fact that this inning was over before it started, but uh, but Flaherty as well? Well, you know, 10 runs, It was the first time it's been done since 1929,
6: mm-hmm. you know. So that's that's a long span right there. The other factor is is Flaherty is what he is. He's, a, he's worked himself into a number-one starter, and, uh... He's showing the, the the big magic word is consistency and you know he's able to compete at the highest level and and you know take the ball and give it to him and he wants it that's that's a big that's a big plus uh when people want to see a guy like that come you know to the mound and uh and take charge of the situation and uh, that's exactly what he did here's the other factor is you still have to remember you know, how long will these guys last? You know, it's a different breed of cat out there, too. take right. So, t- you, 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 we're talking here tonight. <clears throat> it's 2019. Right. See where he's going to be in 2025. Right. Mm-hmm. You know. So, you know, take note of that. You know, and, and, and you can keep your little charts, so or you can sit there and look at the books, and you say, okay, well, he did this, and this, and this, and this, 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 here, and yeah. off your ear, and off your here but he came back and did this, but he's not the same picture as he was, maybe same type of pitcher. But, you know, you look at Wainwright, for instance, he's an incredible guy. I mean, he's a stud, you know, for him to to come out there and pitch like he did at his age and, and, uh, you know, now he should be the pitcher of the year, actually, you know, because had they had not Wainwright, you know, that's great that Flaherty came along, but had they had uh, Wainwright, who else would you have gotten out there, you know, to, to get those really important seven or eight wins? You know, when those needed wins at the time. Well, you know, and he was calm, cool, and collected. and He is very professional
4: about it. Well, being a former Cardinal, obviously you got to love the fact that the Cardinals advanced. You know, obviously you're the one guy that's pitching both uh, from both Missouri teams, Kansas City and St. Louis, right? So we know you have right. a sentimental feeling for the Cardinals. Uh, with that said, do you feel that the Cardinals have the capability of winning at all? Well, I don't know. I'm just I'm just looking at a good ball game. Okay. I mean, uh,
6: I mean, anybody can win it all. For me to come out there and say, "Well, the Cardinals are going to win it all," we're real, you know. No, I'm not like that. Okay. You know, I I I'm, I'm looking at it from uh, other angles. I mean, you got the Yankees out there. I think they're short on pitching a little bit. You know, just a little bit. But, but you know what? Everybody's short
7: on pitching. <laughs> How about that <laughs> right. one? The Joker! <laughs> yeah,
4: fun. yeah, we're all short on pitching. Well, we know that and you're... you know what? The fans don't understand that. They sit there and go, look at the big bumper. No, look at the big pitcher. Well, we... You know. Well, we know where you we know where you are sentimentally that you hope they win it, but yeah, you definitely nailed it there, so uh Well I guess that uh, if you want to throw sentiment in, but it, you know yeah. what do, I don't
6: know. But that's good. But I like to see good baseball games. Right. And it, yeah, you know, it's fun to watch the Cardinals, you know, kick ass. You know, ten runs, that's a that's wild out there to do something
4: of that nature. Yeah, wasn't it? Uh all right, so let's yeah. talk about the game tonight. You got the Houston Astros against the Tampa Bay Rays, uh the uh, high payroll on the Astro side is $198.6 versus $63 million, the lowest MLB. Uh, you know, uh-huh. what's your take of uh, uh, for the economics? about what, well, you, uh, know, you know, the Verlander got hit, and, you know, I, I wouldn't count on
6: Verlander. He's been seen a lot, too. Right. And he, also, he, too, has thrown a lot of bullets. There's nothing to say that he can't get hit, or any of those guys, mm-hmm. you know, for that matter. And uh, but you better have your ducks lined up, you know, and they, and they do, you know, to see who's, who's sound enough to go out there and, and follow up on Verlander, you know. I mean, how long are they going to go with him, you know, if, 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 if they've got a couple runs here and they got somebody going along with him in the third, fourth, or fifth inning, you know. And uh, there's nothing to say that he's going to always give you those seven, eighth, uh, seventh and eighth inning, you know, and keep you in the game that long. I mean, I switched over to Verlander, but they've got so many. You've got Cole and and all these other pitchers that they've got, and you know they have a dynamite staff. But you know, all it takes is a big inning, see? Right. And and the big inning can happen fast, real, real fast. So that's where your that's where your uh, manager, your pitching coach, your bullpen guy, uh, uh, analytics people, if you want to go that far saying, okay, who's ready tonight and who's not? And Lynch might say this, but the pitching coach, because he knows the, uh, the person, his heart, what's going on today, did his wife give him a bad
4: send-off kiss before he went to the park, or what happened? <laughs> <Right. clears throat> Does that make sense? Oh, totally. See, because they don't figure all that
2: crap in. <laughs> and you know? We, and, we and, s- and, 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 you know, like, you know, you know, Martinez the other day, well, they
6: said... He had a death in his family, you know, nothing against that, and, you know, as God is witness. But the thing about it is, is that, you know, that's fine and daddy, but he was laughing a whole lot. And I know one thing about me, when I went to the ballpark, and I, if I went to the mound, that was my safety net, was when I went to the mound, because I knew I could relax there. There was no phone line, and the other factor is, nobody was going to tell me really what to do at that point, except me and the catcher working together. And I was having to have fun when I was on the mound. So there are really no excuses that you say, oh, so-and-so got hit by a train, and he's in the hospital. <laughs> well, good grief, are you kidding me? I'd love it. You know, if somebody hit, got hit, hit by a train, and I'm on the mountain, I'm going to get the hitter out. I, I could give a crap about the train,
4: <laughs> you know, to the well... truth. The floor? I mean, hey, put it that way. That's the way it is, folks. Well, you know what, Mark? The floor's all Lewis's. He's got probably a million questions in that young head of his. So I'm just going to sit back and watch you guys talk baseball a little bit. Go ahead, Lewis.
2: So, Mark, I'm going to give you a couple of numbers on Kershaw's postseason struggles just to kind of outline the difference between his regular season numbers and his postseason numbers. His career regular season ERA, and I'm not sure if you're aware of this, since the start of the live ball era, which is 1920, when Babe Ruth started hitting all those home runs, 59 to be exact, in 1920 in the right. wake of the Black Sox scandal. Kershaw's ERA, his career ERA of 244, is the best of any starting pitcher since the start of 1920. We're not going to talk about Ed Walsh, who pitched with the White Sox from 1906 to 18 when he had a 182 career ERA. That's a different era. Kershaw's his postseason ERA is 4.43 in 159 innings. Kershaw, for his career, has allowed .7 home runs per nine innings. That's across about 2,275 innings, pitched. in the postseason, Scott and, and Mark, 1.4 home runs per nine innings. We've seen this since the start of 2017. His home run rate rose. I believe the f- 2017 was the first year he had a home run rate over a home run allowed per nine innings. Now, Ma- now, Mark, Scott briefly asked the question, but could you expand a little bit? What do you think is the problem? Because he's had those moments of postseason glory. I'll outline game one of the Division Series in 2013 against the Braves, 13 strikeouts in game one. Game one of the World Series against the Astros, 12 strikeouts and one run over seven innings. But he's had the blowups, and we saw that against Matt Adams in 2014 after coming back on three days rest. He gives up the three-run homer on the hanging curveball. Three to two, the Dodgers lose. But what do you think it is, genuinely, that has Clayton Kershaw, who by wins above replacement and a million other metrics that you can put together, analytical or traditional metrics aside, or altogether, what makes the best pitcher of this generation such a liability in the postseason? You can almost do a Steve Blass effect
6: where it, uh, Steve blast was Pittsburgh Pirates. And years ago when he threw a one, a one pitch and it got away from him and San couldn't even come close to blocking it and the, and the run scored, he could not come close. You know, it's the Steve Sachs factor. You got, in other words, we call it the thing to where, in other words, he can't throw a strike. But, you know, Kershaw, yeah, he can throw a strike, but maybe he's a little more timid to where he says, well, I might have to do this or I might have to do that rather than being free and easy. You know, uh, uh, most ball players, I think, uh, well, I don't know about this, but I think that they approach the game as, uh, "Hey, hey, it's just another game. You know, and then some maybe might approach it as, "Oh, I got, I have to be really careful here." And if you're really careful, you're going to get the get the shit kicked out of you.
2: And oh. I th- and I think Kershaw's, you know, blow up last night the latest in the saga of something I dislike because you know, coming from an unobjective perspective perspective he's my favorite player in the sport i just love watching him pitch especially given the fact that his fastball velocity has declined from what 93 in 2016 down to 90.4 this year the the differentiation between the velocity and the slider and the fastball is a lot different and we were briefly discussing earlier should roberts be fired scott should roberts be fired mark i honestly think if roberts isn't another organization and they don't have that previous pedigree of winning those last two nl pennants he's fired You had Kenley Jansen ready, who if I don't know if you were watching the game last night, because I definitely was, when Jansen came out to the mound when he was warming up in the eighth, when Kershaw should have, like I said, he should have, he struck out Eaton on three pitches to end the seventh. Take him out. Aaron Boone did the same thing with Severino, his final start of the regular season and his first start of the postseason. Let him get out of the inning, out of a jam, as Kershaw was coming in for Bueller, and keep that confidence at a high. Save him for the championship series. You had Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin, Ken- Kenley Jansen, Kenta Maeda a myriad of pitchers, Julio Urias, who you could have thrown you could have had Kershaw, had that one moment of glory, but instead Roberts said in his post-game conference, I went with my gut, and it's kind of odd considering he is an analytically inclined manager, working with a guy like Andrew Friedman, who built these Tampa Bay teams, that are with the lowest payroll at $63 million. the correlations here are innumerable but well, if well, you look at, right? no. but if Roberts makes these decisions for another team by avoiding to take Kershaw out. Have Kelly throw a second inning after he looked fine in the ninth inning. Right. He is fired. But just because of that contract extension, I don't care about the 106 wins. They've become the Buffalo Bills. They've become right. the 1990s Buffalo Bills. You, for a team that was had the lowest starters ERA, I believe it was like 273, the fifth lowest reliever ERA, if you believe that, at one point their ERA was 19th in the league. That's going back to early August You need to manage the bullpen better. You could have got Adam Kolarik, who had dominated Soto the entire series, a lefty-on-lefty. The first pitch that Rendon hits the home run on is a very good slider. It's low and inside. Most pitchers don't get that. We can talk juice ball and everything. I mean, the spike in home runs is ridiculous. But the pitch he throws Soto is a hanging slider that he should not have thrown him. And Kershaw should not have been out there. I think Roberts, in my opinion could have cost himself his job given the mistakes that he made throughout the series. And I'm not even going to mention Game 1 or Game 2 when Kershaw's pitching. He sets up Justin Turner on the on the grass for Trey Turner, who I understand he bunts a lot. He, let, he was second in the league in stolen bases this year. But he sets him up in first pitch. Turner hits a double down the left field line, and Kershaw gives up a first inning run. If Turner is playing regular depth, and we could talk about the shift another day, he makes that play, and Kershaw avoids a first inning blowup, and this narrative goes away. He has, he has put fuel on the fire of Kershaw's postseason struggles, and he has, you know, he may have cost himself the job. I don't know. Maybe Dave Roberts becomes attractive to another team in the off A hundred and six wins means nothing if you're not going past the division series. I'm sorry.
4: Well, there's. A- no, you no, you you have you have a really good point there. Uh, I remember
6: I'll, I'll bring back an old one for you in 1977 when we were playing the Yankees. Uh, we were leading the Yankees in Kansas City on the fifth game uh, in the ninth inning. We we just scored and went ahead two by two runs. I think it was like five to five to three or four to two. Anyway, uh, you know why you brought in Dennis Leonard, starter. You know. We lost the game, you know, right there. They scored uh, three, if not four, four runs, I believe, in that ninth inning. And uh, I, well, I got in the game. I was the last pitcher in the game. Not that it matters, because I was hurt. I was hurt at the end. I broke a rib throwing a pitch, actually. And uh, I would actually been healed up for about oh, two and a half weeks, maybe. But you know, you've got a good point. You know, you're you're bringing in those pitchers, and that's their bullpen day. We call it, you know, it's like you know. Uh, Kershaw, that that would have been his bullpen day. Maybe next, he had an extra day, actually, I believe. So, mm-hmm. whatever, it's fine. But, uh, I don't know, it's just, it, you're, you're right, and uh, I'll tell you what, you're going to find out here in the next uh, two weeks what's going to
4: happen with Dave Roberts. You know? one, uh, one guy I want to mention uh, that really had some uh, issues in the postseason, we can't forget Rick Ankeel, and Keel, and then and now having problems as well. And then he ended up trying to become a hitter, so... Yeah, I guess right. there comes a certain mental thing where that obvious the uh, glove isn't big enough to overcome some of the psychological in- idiosyncrasies that you deal with. But you guys make incredible points about the mindset when you get to the postseason. I remember, Mark, a long time ago when I had asked Grady Little uh, when he was a manager of the Dodgers and I saw him in Vero Beach about Pedro Martinez and Scott, it's on the big stage. You know what? And you're, every movie you're going to make is going to be scrutinized ten times uh, over anyhow, you know. And But each, each of you guys makes a lot of good points. It really does. I mean, I remember, like you talked about, Steve Sacks had that thing uh throwing the, the yips. Uh, Chuck right? Doblock. Well, I mean, right. Okay, but again, my point well, is some guy... Well, first Steve Blass, actually. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a, a pitcher, And then, uh, but, yeah, it was kind of interesting. But
6: the other thing is you look at Schilt, you know, for instance. The manager Schilt with the Cardinals. Now, I thought he did a great job. And I'll tell you why. Because Martinez gave up those three runs when Wainwright threw just a great game the other day. It was one to nothing. Went into the ninth inning, gave up three runs. You know they lost. You know three to one. And all of a sudden, he brings him back the next day. You know, now St. Louis fans were ready to you know you know kill kill this kid. You know, you know and he's he's cocky. You know, and he's a little bit immature out there on the mound, and you know, but he brought him in the next day through the eighth inning. He, he throws up uh, a, a goose egg right out there, a zero, and uh, so uh, the other pitcher came back in, uh, uh, Mickelson Center. Uh, well,
2: Michaelis Miles Michaelis Miles,
6: Miles Michael. Yeah, he came in, he got the win. So there you go. Yeah, and, and... Uh, but but he brought Martinez back. You know. And you, you thought, well, okay, somebody's head's going to fly here if, if, if he didn't get out of this.
4: But, you know what, He stuck by his guns. Well, you know, me, and you get, so there you go. Let me mention one thing that we didn't get to about the managerial side that just entered my head, okay? Uh, and that's this. With the rebuilding teams, I think we both see a trend that many of them are really going to the more experienced managers anyways. Case in point, the Detroit Tigers with Ron Garden higher. And I'm sure that there's probably a lot of other examples. And since I'm a Detroit guy, Mark, for a moment – uh, what do you think of, about the job that Ron hire has done with the Detroit Tigers?
6: Well, you know, I don't know. I have, I've never looked at the Detroit this year. I know they struggled obviously bad, you know, real bad, and uh, you know, what's he got coming down the pike? That's the other factor. You right. know, minor league-wise, and then also trade-wise, or free agent-wise. Right. You know, so there's a lot of variables that... Uh, Obviously, I'm not, this is nothing new to anybody, right? You know, out there, what I'm saying. Uh, well, I mean, uh, you give him another year and say, hey, here, we're going to give you some different players and, you know, make, make the best
4: of it. So, well, he, knows, he knows the game. Ron Gardner, Gardner knows the name, but you know, the twins got rid of Ron Gardner when he didn't really do too much, but he didn't have as much teeth. And all of a sudden,
6: the next the next year, uh, what's his name? The uh, uh, monitor. Yeah. You know, he went out there and he had he has pretty good arms and he has pretty good players.
4: Well you know? as far as the Detroit situation, I think they've got a lot of great talent at the double A level, so yeah, whether he gets an opportunity to see this rebuild through is anybody's guess. And you talked about Don Manningly Lewis, for a moment. He's with the Marlins, so and I think he worked got an extension. So again, mm-hmm. we again we can play managerial roulette, you know, and of course now think of the situation with the Boston Red Sox letting Dave Dombrowski go. Who knows where that uh, organization's going to go, Mark? I mean, that that's anybody's guess. Well, they got somebody in mind. You know, before they did it, they had somebody in mind. And a lot of these organizations right now already know who they have
6: in mind. Right. So, you know, it's not, it, they're just going through a process to let the fans know, oh, well, we interviewed this guy, and we interviewed this guy, and but we were going to take this guy anyway.
7: Right. <laughs> so, that's... Well. They know what they want and, uh, you know, they know what they
6: have coming, you know, from the bottom or, you know, outside the organization to make that, you know, a, a better
4: organization to try to get them into the playoffs in October. Yeah, well, when you see the Red Sox, Red Sox worry about going underneath the luxury tax threshold and Dave Dombrowski cleans out the farm system, okay, I mean, those—that's that's something that seems to be common with Dave. He's a winner without a mm-hmm. doubt. But that seems to be common when he leaves an organization that, you know, you trade a lot of prospects to get proven veterans, you spend a lot of money, okay, but, and you reap the early benefits, but then down the road you're set back a few years. So, go for it. He made a big point earlier about the pitching, and, you know, I'm a real firm believer there that because I
6: know pitchers can break because I was one of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you go out there with a five-year contract. I had a five-year contract. I broke in my first year. But I'm just saying – of that five-year contract. And then you go out there, and uh, there, there's, there's there's all kinds of things that can happen to a pitcher.
2: I mean, good grief. Are you right. kidding me? I mean, uh, look, David Price was,
6: I think, playing Xbox, and he had to have Carpal Tunnel last year because of that. He
2: did, playing <laughs> Minecraft of all well, things.
6: And, uh, how stupid is that? Are you
2: kidding me? Here's a guy
6: that's making a zillion bucks, and he's a hell of a pitcher, and he wants to play Xbox, and, you know, uh... <laughs> You know, anything questionable here because now it's his thumbs and, and you know, the carpal tunnel came on. Well,
2: I, I, that's an idiot. You know, he's from Vanderbilt. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. A very mm-hmm. good pitching school. It's produced the likes of Walker Bueller, who we saw last night, Sonny Gray. I mean, yeah. Mike Yastrzemski, call your son. We're on the subject of the Red Sox went to Vanderbilt. It's a very good baseball school. But, I mean, yeah, yeah. Price, and Price is pitching with a torn UCL. All he's right. got a, a $217 million contract four years in. He's won the World Series, so by that measure, it's justified, right? Really, Boston. Sure all it's paid for. It. Yep. Yeah, it's and he, and they, you know, Boston, it's gonna, they're going to have it rough, but Dombrowski had always done that with teams. He did it with the Expos, he did it with the Marlins when he traded away the likes of Moises Alou. That fire stuff when we lost 108 games in 98 after, you know, winning the World Series.
7: Right. You know, he did
2: it in Detroit. He depleted the farm system for David Price, and right. then he signed him as soon as he went back to Boston. He was a puppet for John Henry and Tom Warner because they well, asked did, him. Yeah,
3: that's right.
2: We want it. Look you at wa- Chapman, look at Chapman. You know, Chapman was uh, crying when Madden had him in there cuz he was going to send him back out and like he didn't want to go out. You know, and, you know, and Madden right. has been scrutinized for that. He's been scrutinized in recent years for the Chapman decision. We saw the Rajay Davis home run. We know that these moments happen to great pitchers for hit with hitters who have you know less than stellar careers. Davis. Well, here's the deal. You know, t- tough shit sucking up. You know, he's still pitching for the Yankees. He's
4: got a hell of a contract. He's a big dog over there. So it all worked out fine. Mm-hmm. Totally, I agree with you 100. percent All right, we got got about four minutes left to go, uh, and then we'll pick this thing up uh, in a few weeks. So, what other questions do you have for Mark? Bear in mind, we only have four minutes to go. Well,
2: Mark, not really a question, but we just got the news through the LA Times. Dave Roberts, Scott, Mark's going to be back next year. So, I mean, you know, I'm not really surprised at it. Again, he did sign a three year contract. But this this situation is developing the same way that Joe Girardi's did after he re-signed with the Yankees after the 2014 season. A lot of people were questioning, does he really want to manage? And that's why, you know, I've heard him link to the Mets job, and I'm sure you guys have too. But I don't necessarily see him going there because I, and I'm not going to say he can't handle New York. He was a catcher on a couple of those World Series teams in the 90s. I don't think he wants to manage in that market anymore. I totally agree with you, Mark. He's going to go to Chicago. He right. he came up with the Cubs in 1988. He doesn't want to be in New York because he's tired of New York. You know the the pre- the pressure of the New York you know press. Mm-hmm. You know the Chicago press is a lot more
6: easier. He's closer to home. He's a Midwest boy. Right. Let's ki- let's kick it around. Eat a few steaks uh, down here in, in Chicago and see what happens.
4: Yeah. No. I. I we have a we have a majority. Uh, with this one. I believe that uh, I mean, I know Ross, they talk about David Ross David Ross,
2: is Mark Loretta as a candidate
4: Yeah, but you know what though? I'm still with you Mark and Lewis. I still say when it's all said and done, if the Cubs really, really, really want to win Joe Girardi does have a world championship under his belt as a manager, let alone what he accomplished as a player. There's no question, okay, that I think he's a perfect fit with the Cubbies so well, he
6: was in he was in there eight hours the other day so that tells you something because yeah. they're asking him not only about the big league team they're also asking him what what would you think about doing with the Meyer league system because they they want to know that as well
4: Oh yeah, yeah well, that's true you know and, you know they, they might spend a lot more
6: time on the Meyer league system than you think.
2: The greatest thing about Girardi, though, is, you know what, it's, I love these managers that can make do with little, and we saw Kevin Cash do that, but all of those years that the Yankees, you know, post-2009, when they're dealing with, you know, the bad A.J. Burnett contract, and, you know, Sabathia getting older and having those injuries to his knees, and the weight problems he had, yeah, he entered rehab at one point in 2015. But what we're also seeing is that Girardi has always made do with very little. And Derek Jeter's final year, you know, he made the Yankees yep. competitive, That's despite right. the fact that they didn't really have a shortstop all season. Yes.
4: You're right. Yep. Mark, for sure. Well, I'll tell you what, Mark, that puts a bow on it for tonight. But meanwhile, what we're going to do, though, like we talked about, is uh, you and I and Lewis are going to uh, do this in a few weeks. We'll do a one-hour mini-show. It'll be an all-baseball show with the three of us. How does that sound, Mark? Sounds super dope to me. And we'll definitely be loaded with a lot of good content. But meanwhile, Mark, uh, it'll be right at the end of the postseason, so I'm sure we'll have maybe one of the things we'll uh, focus on is where some of these managerial things end up playing out. We'll uh, pick that up as a continuation. Since we can't connect the dots right now, we'll be able to connect a few more then, and we can scrutinize the whole process, but we have a whole show to talk about it. And well, I tell you what, though, you know, What's while you're that? doing that, I'm gonna cl- I'm gonna close it out for you. Sure. And, and it goes and it goes like this. I have this in one of my books. I say, throw peas at the knees, no pies in the eyes, no wall balls, and you'll be just fine. <laughs> well, then you know what?
2: Casey Stengel in the
4: flesh. Then you know what? Uh, since you're a reliever, we'll let you close out the segment on that note. <laughs> so. All right, Mark. I'll be in touch with you pretty soon. We'll set up another time. But meanwhile, thanks for being on the Sports Exchange with us tonight. We appreciate it, and we'll talk soon. Anything else you want good? to say?
2: Nothing. It was always good talking to you, Mark. Glad we got the band back together. Hey, you, Lewis. Yeah, we go.
4: It's fun. Yeah, yeah man. Sure. Hopefully we'll get together soon. Well, we'll get the band back together. I got some work to do to get some more content to make it as enjoyable the next time as we did tonight. Thank you, Mark. So, appreciate you, buddy. Yep. Take care, Mark. Uh-huh. Have a good night. Thank you. All right. See you, Lewis. You bet well what can I tell you mr Weiss okay Mark Hello. yes Mark littell is the best that's all I can tell you <laughs> and I'm glad that you were able to hear that so it is what it is no, we had fun It's fun it, it sure is okay so all right Mark Lewis, Lewis did a great job yeah Lewis there you go
2: thanks Mark I always appreciated yeah it's fun fun to
4: be with you guys really all well, right we'll be doing it again in a few weeks thank you very much we, Mark we can,
2: uh, hot Lips se- uh, segment. Let's call it. Let's call ourselves the New Million Dollar Quartet. How about that? We'll reference a little that, that music. Might that, 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 that just might
4: work, Louis. Well, I'll tell you what, Mark. We're going to make it happen in a few weeks. Thanks again for being on the program, Mark, and we'll set it up very soon. Okay. Catch you later. Take right. care. Thank bye. You, thank you. Good night. All right, well, anyways, with that said, okay, uh, your second opportunity to talk to Mark, we certainly gave you an opportunity to let it all loose. What stood out uh, in our conversation with him?
2: I mean, I love how open the dude is. I mean, he understands, you know, where baseball is nowadays. And, and I agree with him. Pitching is vol- volatile. and You never know when an arm is going to break down. It's different right. with position players. And you may think otherwise, considering the fact that they're playing a lot more frequently than pitchers. But I would argue that the art of, hit, of pitching is a lot more strenuous than the art of hitting. Swinging a bat is a lot more of a natural motion compared to throwing a ball. They've said, you know, scientists have even said like the art of throwing a baseball is not physically something our bodies are meant to do, but right. we do it, and you know what? I'll, I totally agree with him. The arms do break down. I don't think Flaherty will fall into that category. He has a relationship with Bob Gibson and Wainwright that's relatively stable. I think he's going to learn he's going to be around for a while.
4: Yeah, but the one thing that Mark uh, mentioned and I think is important uh, is I don't see pitchers getting much more than a three-year contract.
2: No, but in the price, I mean, in... In regards to Cole, I think just because of the season that he's had and the two seasons that he's had in Houston embracing the analytics and the fact that baseball has been trending in that direction, a team is going to pay for him. We know that maybe one or two of those years, and you'll agree with me, they're not going to be, you know, he's not going to win four Cy Young Awards for them. But if they win a World Series with him there, they don't care about what happens near the tail end of the contract. Look at Jacoby Ellsbury when he's signed with the Yankees. Right. They've gotten nothing from him the last two years.
4: Well, again, I, I'm a firm believer, and a lot of people probably would be, that – the days of contracts going much longer than five years, I mm-hmm. just don't see No, them I happen. agree, but I
2: mean, Mike Trout, an exception.
4: Well, all right, but you're t- how many exceptions do you have here versus the uh, perception of reality? Not, I agree. I mean, that's what I'm telling you. Yeah. Mr. Stat, okay? I mean, look at the Pooh Holes contract. Oh, the, look it, at the Cabrera. Wait a minute. Hold it, okay? Teacher against student, okay? Uh, at least for this second. But really, the Cabrera contract hasn't turned out well. The Pujols one, obviously, is not doing very well. Mike Trout, somebody was going to give him that money. Mm -hmm. We'll find out where Bryce Harper went ahead and fits in later, even though I still find it hard to believe that it's the Philadelphia Phillies not taking on the Cardinals instead of the Washington Nationals doing it. I mean, the best you could get out of Bryce Harper's team was an 81-81 and 81 mm-hmm. record. But, but the
2: problem with that is they didn't have the pitching. Andrew McCutcheon went down in June. They would have been in the playoffs if, had he been healthy. And on that, Rudy is on the show. Yes.
4: Yeah. Right. Right. With that said, Rudy's on. Welcome to the big show, Rudy. I guess we got your time zones mixed up, didn't we, buddy? All right. Yeah,
8: does okay, you know what?
4: Alright, that's okay. Obviously, you're in the Rocky Mountain Time Zone. Though. I thought you were probably out in British Columbia with uh, the fact that we have to make sure that it wasn't Pacific Time versus the Mountain. But anyways, Rudy, glad to have you back on the program, buddy. Sure. It's been, so, uh, been a little bit, but thanks for having me on. I definitely
8: appreciate that. Uh, speaking of being back on, it looks like the Giants defense is back on. 14-14 with 43 seconds to go, and they're going to run it on the right side. Uh like Patriots
4: might score before half, and they did. That's a touchdown. All right. Well, just say so you no, know, Rudy. You're on with Louis Andy and of course. Yours truly here. So, um, meet well, meet your new teammate.
2: How's it going, Rudy? Nice to meet you. I'm doing well, yourself. Good, good. So I hear you're going to talk some baseball with us tonight.
4: Well, he's going. I got a few ideas that we're going to talk about. Okay, and including something with Denver. Okay, you will talk Denver on this show because we are a national program. Okay, you follow me? But yeah, what we yeah, do on our yeah. program is another story. But we're going to lead it off with of this, Rudy. Even though, obviously, it's been decided. Do you think Dave Roberts should have been fired for um, the exit to the Nationals, even though I guess they've picked up his contract for another year, you said? Well, he's
2: got a three-year deal, so it's right. the second year. They're just going to bring him back. If it doesn't work out next year, I can guarantee you he'll be gone. But I'm Okay, really well, we know what said. you're
4: I want to hear what Rudy's got to say. We heard Well, what you, you said. know, here's, here's the entire problem that I have with that. Is that you look at last year, you know, it was a mismanagement
8: of personnel. He used the wrong – the wrong pitchers in the wrong order and then what does he do this year he botches it again by bringing in Clayton Kershaw who's had nothing uh, short of a stellar uh, regular season game his ERA was in the one high ones low twos brings him in trying to close out this game and what does he do gives up a home run (laughs) to a former teammate where we all know that his ERA is a, a 3.86 and 4.25. So he, he blows it, and it just makes you wonder. You know, he, he had a conversation earlier in the week saying, well, you know, you're barely going to get here, hardly going to get here. And a guy who's been there, done that quite a few times. But there's so many people right now who feel sorry for Clayton Kershaw. The problem is that, well, I don't. I don't feel sorry for Clayton Kershaw at all. As a matter of fact, I not only feel sorry for Clayton, not sorry for Clayton Kershaw, I feel sorry for more than anybody. And that's, and that's, and those are the fans, the ones that have been paying all this money all season long, walking out before the game's even over. And it's just a nightmare that just keeps reliving itself over and over again with this Dodgers organization. So should, should Dave Roberts be held accountable? Absolutely. Clayton Kershaw being accountable? Yes. If those were the pitches that Kershaw needed to make. Roberts wasn't up there showing him this isn't this isn't T-ball. Okay? <laughs> if you're going to be a general, you're going to be a, a coach of a Major League Baseball team, you should know by all all things being equal, past and present performance in postseason has not been good, yet he put him in anyway. They should both be held accountable for it, and to be quite honest with you, it would not surprise me if he found a way to trade off Clayton Kershaw, knowing he chokes in October, maybe too much candy he had before the game. And then Dave Roberts, uh, who just decided to have another uh, mismanagement of personnel in another playoff game
4: in children. Well, you know, it's funny how you say that because I like what Lewis said to Mark Lottell and that he views what the Dodgers are like to the Buffalo Bills. I think it's a great analogy. Lewis, why don't you go ahead and. Um... I'll give Rudy your thoughts about that uh, creation.
2: So I'll happily, before I get into the Bills, I'm going to happily disagree real quick. I I understand the lack of empathy some are feeling for Kershaw, but we also have to understand this is the greatest pitcher of the generation. He did resign with the Dodgers, 3-for-93 at the start of the season. He still had an all-star caliber season. I understand the postseason ups and I may be a little biased considering he is a player that I I watch and enjoy watching more than any other pitcher, especially considering he's not the same pitcher anymore. But to trade him off would be ridiculous. He's going to retire a Dodger. His last game he's ever going to pitch in the major leagues is going to be as a Dodger. I understand the postseason blowups. I made the point to Littell. His ERA in the postseason is 4.43. His ERA in the regular season is 2.44. He owns the best ERA plus of any pitcher in the modern era. He's won three Cy Young Awards. Clayton Kershaw is not going to pitch in another uniform in his entire career unless he's pitching for some local T-ball team in Texas throwing softball, playing you know, some coach pitch for his little kid Charlie out there in Texas or L.A. He's never going to pitch for another team. He's ingrained with the Dodgers. I agree with you, though, on Roberts. Roberts should be fired for the fact that I don't care about a 106-win team. I don't... I don't care how good you are in the regular season. He Roberts worked well with platooning guys. He gave guys rest because the Dodgers were so far ahead better than everybody else. But Kershaw is not fully to blame for this. Kershaw didn't give up the home run to Howie Kendrick. That was Joe Kelly. But... You know what? Kershaw created that scenario by giving up the home run to Rendon, although it was on a very good slider that really doesn't get hit out of the regular season. We also have to understand Anthony Rendon is a top-five MVP candidate. Juan Soto, that home run uncalled for. I understand the hard, the longest home run Soto had ever hit in his career at 449 feet, but he hung a slider. The one that... But, here's, but here's, here's, here's the entire problem with that. The problem that I have is that
8: you know for a fact, for a fact, regular season – pitching rotation, regular season uh, uh, players in that rotation are the ones that are going to be rotated out and new ones rotated in. What works in the regular season, what had worked in the regular season, over 100 games from the Dodgers, meant absolutely nothing headed into postseason. Those pitches that he made were not Dave Roberts whispering in his ear like some type of, of, of a pitcher whisperer to get him to throw those balls that he did. Dave Roberts, said, you know, go out and do your best, give your best. And what did he do? He gave nothing. He gave absolutely nothing. His inability to close out the game when he was put in a relieving position. Now, by all means, looking at Khrushchev's past record, that's great. Look at all the past records you want, and that's wonderful. The problem is that nobody nobody looks at the past unless the negatives come to the front of what happened in the past. And that's exactly what happened. He was pissed and relieved for the last four postseasons. The first three of those, okay, well, they were relatively successful, uh, closing out 2016 NLDS and two, uh, 2018 NLCS on the road. However, it was another
2: bad outing by an
8: otherwise good regular
2: season pitcher. I would say, I mean, not just good. I mean, there's an argument can be made. He's the best pitcher, one of the best pitchers of all time. You can use a million metrics to comp to compound that and support that argument. There's a, again, there's a million ways to debate that. He. He's going to go down as one of the 10 greatest starting pitchers of all time. With, you know, obviously the postseason is a tarnish on him, but we, he's not. We can't ignore the good moments he's had in the playoffs, but we also can't ignore the four shutout innings in game seven of the World Series in relief. A career 245 ERA in 10 postseason innings prior to entering the game last night. I don't, and I feel sorry for him because if you saw his postgame comments, he wanted to win more than anything. I don't think Clayton Kershaw wants to blow the game for the Dodgers, but I also believe that. Roberts should have been smart and done what Aaron Boone did with Luis Severino. Let him finish an inning, keep the confidence high, and if the Dodgers win, which they would have had he not pitched the eighth, and I totally blame Kershaw for that, but Roberts is partially to blame too because he af- allowed it to happen. He went with his gut, as he said, post-game, and he's the reason, you know, it's 50-50 why they lost, but Joe Kelly doesn't help either giving up that grand slam to Kendrick. Well, but no, he, he doesn't,
8: but look, bottom line is, Kershaw does not get over the hump. just like with guys like Strasburg, just like guys like Frankie, just like Charlie Morton. You're going to give a laundry list of guys that will, will will go down as being one of the one of the the, the better maybe top fifty, top one hundred best pitchers to ever pitch in the ALCS or in NLCS. The problem is that Kershaw will end up on the same side with guys that have never won a ring, and we can talk about the NFL and pull guys like Warren Moon in there, Dan Marino, a laundry list of other guys who have never won a title. Kershaw will find himself on that list at some point. I don't think he's going to quite get to where he needs to be, where most people in the regular season would have probably thought, you know what, he's got this. He has the energy. He has the intelligence. He knows what to pitch and how to pitch it. That's great for regular season. That's wonderful. It's fantastic. But it doesn't speak... To his discredit, once you get in the postseason, again, Dave Roberts, personally to blame, Kershaw gets the other 50%, if not 60%. Why? Because the balls that those players hit weren't off of Dave Roberts' bat, they were on the opposing team's bat. So it had everything to do with what he was doing,
2: how he was doing it, and the fact that he gave up the farm. Oh, totally agree with you. I totally. I mean, we can agree to disagree on some things, but I agree with you about Robert's mismanagement. It's why I thought, you know, Don Mattingly got fired after twenty fifteen. He mismanaged the bullpen in that division series against the Mets. Dave Roberts mismanaged Brandon Morrow in the twenty seventeen World Series, where he pitched in every single
4: game. Okay, let's let's move on to some other stuff. Okay, since we're on baseball, uh, we already know what you have to say, Rudy. Why don't you predict a World Series winner in the matchup? Wow, that's, you know, I, I don't know that I can do that. Because Why? Because so much baseball to me. Look, cause, Oh, come on. So no, no, no. Don't sit don't, I is? don't want to hear it. No, no. No, you want to sit here. No, uh, uh, we're on a, uh, I don't want to hear this. If you're a rude dog, don't be a rude dog to me and pick me a darn winner for crying out loud. I don't care. <laughs> Who do you think I'm I am? I'm going to the Cardinals. I'm huh? going to the Cardinals because the Cardinals will get in. Uh, regardless of what team they actually go with right now. And, of course, the Houston Astros are leading 5-1 over the Tampa Bay Rays,
8: both tied two apiece. Okay. But I'm, I'm going to have to go with the Cardinals on this. They, they have been so good uh, for, for for the better half of the season, not during the race, but they had a very slow start. Uh, they did have some injuries to offset that to make it even worse, and now Houston just scored, making it 6-1 over Tampa Bay. But I do like the fact alone that, that, that the Cardinals have been doing this on the road. They have a good record at home. Uh, and, and, and they have they have the rotation, they have the mentality of the team that makes the Houston mistakes won't end up winning. And I think the Cardinals have, have cleaned that up a lot from the infield, from the outfield standpoint. Uh, just playing really tight, knowing when to play against the shift, uh, and they're they're absolutely fantastic. I'm an NL Central guy, but okay. at the same token, my team's not in it uh, because they probably haven't found themselves in it since '79, and that'd be the Pirates. But uh, I, I do certainly. I uh, think that that the Cardinals will will get
4: it done and win uh, win another title. And who are they going to face? Oh, man, you're killing me here. I um, know, I know. I'm a real tough... You're, you're,
8: yeah, I know. You're, you're definitely
4: killing me. Um, all right, well, at I'm, least I'm, I'm not going to get... i have to say they'll, they'll end up beating beating the Astros. Now, now I know people are going to say,
8: what? what are you talking about? Astros? Look, the, the, the Astros have been absolutely fantastic and nothing short of phenomenal all season long. They've already won a World Series, maybe the three years removed, I believe, from actually winning it. So, so now they're going to find themselves so in a real tight situation. Um, but I, in all fairness, I still have to take—I still have to take the cards on this. I really do. They've been playing really well as a team unit. Uh, again, not mismanagement like Dave Roberts and the other NL teams uh, out there.
2: Um, but I, I'm going to—I'm still taking the Cardinals. So you got a battle of two old NL Central foes, and if you think the Astros are getting a World Series, which I can see happening, but I mean they got to go through the Yankees first. We can also say Zach Greinke, who you mentioned earlier, does not have a stellar postseason track record. I understand it's in about half the innings as Kershaw; it's about eighty to ninety for Greinke, but an ERA of nearly four point seven for Greinke in the postseason. Okay. Yeah, no, I, and I do like that matchup. I, I, I think
8: Greinke he cleans up. His form and doesn't allow those balls to, to get away from bases or loaded. You know, runners on the corners. You, you have to know when to make those pitches, when not to, uh, when to just give it up to, to your back catcher and maybe get somebody out who's you know to try to slide second. So uh, I, I, I really uh, appreciate. Uh, as a matter of fact, I appreciate October baseball in general, and I love watching the sport. Uh, I'm, 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 I, I I got to take Cardinals on this one.
4: Okay, all right. Let's go on to something else, and then we'll talk about our show. Okay, um, but obviously you live in the Denver area, so you, uh, tonight you will talk a little bit of Denver sports. Is there anything interesting that folks here on the national level should know about Denver sports that's worth talking about? Well, to be honest with you, one of fourteen, there
8: really isn't a ton uh, to really look at right now. I mean, they're just not finishing. There was a there was some comments and some. Rumor mill things that are going on in regards to the Broncos and how if they were not able to beat the Chargers, uh, and they actually won a game now they're one and four, like my team is in the uh, the, the AFC North. But 20 to 13 over San Diego, of course, now Pittsburgh tra- travels to Los Angeles to take on the Chargers. Nothing really specifically that I know of, nothing major on, on the injury list as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you, you do have. To, couple guys who came back, the Sled and Amanda Sanders, uh, on a more full-time basis. Um, but they have a they have a pretty stout road ahead of them. Uh, a lot of things are going to have to do right against the Tennessee Titans, who uh, did walk away with a win week before last. Uh, to be quite honest with you, you're going to have to stop that run game. The only way to stop those Titans, and Derrick Henry, who seems to be busting out at the seams whenever he has daylight, um, you're really going to have to stop that run and, and impose your
4: will, especially on third and shorts, um, it, but they have to put them in that situation All right, to let begin me, with. L- let me mention a couple of things here really quickly. Number one, uh, unfortunately the Nuggets have never been to an NBA finals, but the one team that I've always thought that's been a pretty good winner is the Colorado Avalanche. They, uh, what, are, what are the things looking like for the Colorado Avalanche? They have high hopes for them out there. Well, you
8: know the The, the, the season's really you have you have some game day, you know, action going on here. Five days into the season, as kickoff uh, oh, kickoff more like puck off uh, happened on the fifth of October. Right. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're off to a three and start uh, with wins against Dallas, Arizona. You have uh, Vegas and the, the Golden Knights. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a long season, and to be quite honest with you, uh, they're 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 looking good. They're taking on the Bruins this weekend. Um, at at the Pepsi Center, I don't know if I'm going to be able to attend that game. Matter of fact, that game's going on tonight at seven. Actually, the game probably is already underway. But but, but they come in at five and zero. There's some undefeated you know things on the line right now. They are two zero and zero with no ties association. But the season's young; it's just starting. Uh, uh, clearly, the, the NHL is doing a, a, a fantastic job, and I have to give kudos to them on, on this point. This point only. Uh, is that the, the type of social media marketing they're doing this year is a lot better than years past. Uh, and, and to be quite honest with you, I think back to the Avalanche, they they look really good. Ian Colbert turns to the lineup. He's missed a couple games in the regular season. Uh, he was obviously a, a, a ahead of schedule from being injured. Uh, but, you know, you have Kadri, Donskoy. Uh, they were all practiced good for that. Uh, and, and, and so far, because it's such a it's such an early season, they're figuring out who Lanscog is and, and that McKinnon line or the Rantanen. I really like the way Rantanen come, came in at the tail end of a very uh, abysmal season, uh, along with Colin Wilson. They did make some key signings in the off season, uh, which really helped bolster this roster. Of course, you got to really keep things in perspective and keep things going, because as, as you know in the NHL. There isn't a whole lot of changeover um, as far as lines are concerned, players on those lines. But uh, I, I do like the Avalanche. I really enjoyed watching them, especially postseason. And you mentioned the Nuggets. I really, really liked watching the Nuggets last year. Of course, I'm from Southern California, so I right. appreciated watching the Lakers play. But I, I do like the Nuggets. I think they have a fantastic lineup. Uh, they they brought back some old faces, uh, keeping them on pretty decently-sized contracts in association. Um, and, of course, the NBA season is just kicking off as well, at least from a preseason matchup. Uh,
7: and, of course, they're playing the L.A. Clippers tonight in Los Angeles, speaking in Southern California. All
4: right, let me uh, let me make this point here, and then we'll talk about our show, okay? I, I've uh, been following Denver sports a long time. I actually saw the Broncos win Super Bowl thirty three in Southern Florida and the Broncos have a fine history. But you know what? For a team that uh, relocated from Quebec, the former Nordiques, the Avalanche has actually developed a pretty good history in the Rocky Mountain area, uh, considering that the first hockey team was named uh, the Colorado Rockies uh, many years ago. But, you know, you know, so i got to tell you, the Avalanche have a pretty good history in that market. Yeah, they, they,
8: they definitely do a, a, a lot of watchers. A lot of watchers, even though the last season for the Denver Broncos weren't obviously going all that well, this season still not going all that well. Uh, and, and for the first time in Broncos history, they lost at home in back-to-back
7: games. So right. it really kind of does not does not sit well with Broncos country around here. Uh, but, of course, you can always turn your attention to the Nuggets and the Avalanche. And, obviously, the Rockies are not in it. They had right. a pretty decent start, lost a lot of games during the regular season. They didn't need to lose. Uh, didn't really have a ton of injuries, from my understanding, and, and, and with that, just end up falling short.
4: Okay. So a lot
8: of a, a lot of uh, a lot of
4: different sports going on around here. Okay. One other uh, note before we let you go here, obviously you and I began our first show, Motorman and Rude Dog. How did you like our first act? What? And for people listening to the first time on the Sports Exchange, uh, let everybody know what we're looking to accomplish with this show. You know, there,
8: there, there there's a lot to accomplish on this show. And, and since we're, we're in our infancy, of course you have to crawl before you can walk. But uh, you can go to at, Take no punches. Follow us there. Uh, we're gonna have a show coming really, really, uh, real soon. But ultimately, what we're trying to accomplish is is being able to play both sides of, of the fence. Not quite good cop, bad cop, but at the same token, be able to tell it like it is. Right. And and, and, that, and again, taking no punches. And of course, I won't take one because I'll be ducking. Uh, halfway through. If I happen to jam back, you'll know it. <laughs> yeah, well, so we're just trying to get people to uh, to, to follow along, uh, check out our stuff, at tingo Punches. Uh, that, that's Motorman and Root Dog, you'll find on Twitter. And, of course, stay tuned for Episode 2,
4: as yeah, we're coming, coming real soon. Yeah, that's true. I think the one thing you and I have talked about when we created this show here for the South Florida Tribune Broadcasting Network is you got two guys that are experienced, knowledgeable, and have a lot of energy. And as Lewis continues to get acclimated to the uh, broadcast side, you know, that's the thing that we're trying to get done. And I think that with every show that Lewis was here, we'll see this guy's energy level perk. But i got to tell you, though, Rudy, about him. We're we're breaking him in a little bit with the other sports. Let me tell you, this kid here, when it comes to baseball, he he ratchets it to another level, though. He really does. So I don't know. Well,
2: I, I the energy. It was a pleasure uh, coming on
4: tonight with you guys. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. So, I mean, uh, any uh, other final thoughts, Rudy? Well, you know,
8: uh, right now I want to interject here for, for half a second. Now sure. that the uh, New York Football Giants have found a way to come within seven of the New England Patriots, there are a lot of there are a lot of key points uh, in in regards to this matchup. Guys getting open. Uh, Obviously, Golden tape going down with that hand-eye coordination. You know, a drop it Dimes from, from from Danny Dimes, of course, making a long-distance phone call to the end zone. But I, I think the Giants have a really good chance. Of course, they, they've had their number. Patriots have lost two Super Bowls to the New York Giants. So anything can happen. I said it on Twitter. You can follow me at Dog Reyes. Uh, I tell like it is. I call as I see it, and that's just the way it is.
4: I don't think any of us saw t- uh, tonight being a close game, and boy, we look like a bunch of idiots, don't we? Everybody saw a route coming here, thinking that the Giants are at their most vulnerable, and uh, but evidently, there sounds like to me they're uh, they're hanging around, aren't they? So. Yeah,
8: 14-21 right now, coming into the uh, beginning of the third quarter, especially, and it's hard to win in New England. The Weather's so brutal; the wind's blowing side to side, from upright left to upright, you know, right side. So it, it makes it for real blistery conditions and predominantly Patriots are extremely good on taking care of business but there was a forced turnover by the Giants defense, George you know, Jenkins with a pick and ultimately it's, it, it's a defensive pressure that's really manhandling that like Terry Bradshaw said that in, in the pregame as the Giants just breaking runs right here for another first down uh, it, it just goes to show that guys like Terry Bradshaw, the other TV 12 by the way if anybody didn't know that one <laughs> four Super Bowls uh, to, to his credit, under Chuck Noll, one of the most winningest coaches in the NFL outside of obviously Bill Belichick and right. one other. Uh, however, uh, it's it's about Daniel Jones getting acclimated to the offense. Defense is just really getting it done for them. They ranked 30th in the NFL on, on, on pass rush, no turnovers, a wide receiver open at the 50-yard line. That's absolutely insane. So the Broncos... Excuse me, the Giants are taking care of business, so hopefully the Broncos will take care of business this weekend against the Titans, but the Giants are doing it, and they're doing a lot of black lackluster. And I'm not going to say that they're bad players, but you, you don't have the explosive wide receivers and tight ends. You just don't have that. see so a lot of backup guys getting opportunities to shine, and they
4: are. Okay, Rudy, everybody, every guest has been put on the spot tonight. You're going to get it as well, okay? The Miami Dolphins are taking on the Washington Redskins. Uh, What would you name it if it were a bowl game? (laughs) The fish out of
8: water caught by the (laughs) Redskins. I think the Redskins get their first
4: W. Okay, but you've got to give me a bowl game, not that. (laughs) The the bowl game? Yeah, what what are we going to call it? I call it the Super Bowl myself. Huh? Goldfish Bowl.
2: Goldfish Bowl. Okay. That sounds like you think the Redskins are going to run ship on them. I mean, I called it the Toilet
4: Bowl because it's just a battle of the crap. And I call it the Super Bowl because I don't think either of them are going to get to the Super Bowl. So if I put Super Bowl in there, it gets you at least somewhat close to that extra digit in there. Hey, listen, Rudy. Creativity has no limits to it, pal. Just know that, okay? Just know that. Not in my lifetime. Not mine either. And Lewis is just getting started, so, but yeah, no, I know, so well like I said, uh, we're gonna have a lot of fun over on the on our show, the Motorman and Root Dog show on yep. the South Florida Tribune Broadcasting Network, Scott Morgenroth and Rudy Ray, so but meanwhile, Rudy will let you get back to the misses and watch the rest of the football game, and we'll be welcoming Damon Knight to wrap up our night, so. Thanks for being on the program, Rudy. Appreciate it. We'll talk very soon. Okay, pal? Sure. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Have right. a no good evening. Thanks. Take care, Rudy. Thank nice
2: you. talking. Take care. Thanks. You too. Likewise.
4: Bye. So, all right. So, what are your thoughts so far? we got Damon Knight coming in. Obviously, uh, he's in, interested in talking your sport. So, mm-hmm. what we're trying to do with you tonight is give you a little bit of balance so you can rack it up. when. You do get your baseball opportunities. So. There you go.
2: Yeah, give the dog his day, right? Yeah, but um, yeah. no, he's world. I mean, he's he's the version of uh, sports worldly, pretty much. You know, he's very knowledgeable in hockey. You know, I you know I, I'd argue with him on the statistics, but that's just because I'm a finagler. You know, I like to be exact. I'm not going to say all the numbers were correct, but, you know, that's besides the point. I think the guy was very passionate. I love passion, and I love passion in what you do. I love passion in what I do, and I like passion in what he does. I love the passion in what Mark does. I love the passion and all the guests we have on this friggin' show. So, you know what? It was fun. I mean, talking to Rudy was great. I love seeing somebody who has a very good, you know, background with various sports like he does. You know, me, I'm pretty much a, you know... I'm um, baseball, music, and football. Those are my three fortes. But you know what? I love it. You know, I love talking to him. Hopefully, we're going to talk to him again soon.
4: Yeah, but when I first got to know you, it was baseball, music. All of a sudden, we've incorporated football. Well, yeah, you know, I've always liked football. I've been a football fan. but... No, I haven't. That's not how you sold yourself to me. No, I didn't sell myself. Like, yeah. Because. Well, what are you talking about? Wait well, a minute. Hold it. Hold it. Hold yeah, it. Yeah,
2: you told me you are from Detroit. So, also, you know what? I started going on Ernie Harwell, and I went 68 years. Well, series on Forget that. I don't
4: want. You no, know, initially, when we sat here and started doing this thing, I'm a baseball and a music guy, and you know what? That was okay, because your you're stuff's off the charts. Okay, yeah. But obviously, now that you know you have been uh, elevated to broadcast, you know you better learn it all, and you're coming along all right.
2: Yeah, I mean, I got some pretty good football stuff in the works. So, oh, I know yeah. you
4: do. I'm not doubting that. I mean, uh, I'm sure that Katrina McCormick over at FAU is going to be thrilled that you're going to be the regular baseball yeah, writer next uh, and you will be the regular baseball writer for the Tribune as well. Yeah, that's covering right. FAU baseball. We'll yeah, we'll, sure we will make sure You know
2: all that FAU stuff. You know I'm excited to cover. We're gonna we got that game on Saturday. Right. Oh so yeah. We're, we're getting ready for that. I'm going over game notes. You know I'm looking at FAU's previous record. They've won their last three games, I believe. I don't think they've yeah, they played had. since the uh, since late September. Well, it, so it's been a couple of weeks. I think well, they're coming they had out a bye week. Uh,
4: yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean they they're three and two. I mean the quality of the competition is what it is. I mean you had uh they fought Ohio State pretty hard uh, the second game, I tried to—I threw a blank on that one, but it's not going to really matter. Mm-hmm. Oh, Central Florida—that was a tough one for them. Yeah, that. And then and I, then they uh, played Wagner. Then they beat UNC Charlotte.
2: I'm not sure if we played FIU yet. I know that no, that's, that's our later that's our year. primary rival. You generally our homecoming game. That's is, called the
4: Shula Bowl, as they call yeah, it. Yeah,
2: Schellenberger, right? Howard Schellenberger.
4: No, that's a Shula Bowl. Oh, Don Shula. Okay. Yeah. Okay, but that's okay. You're you're new. We won't hold that against you. But no, the wins. That they had were Wagner, uh, Charlotte, and I. What was the other one? Was it? uh... I'm blanking on it, but I know
2: they won their last three games. I believe. You know, it's going to be exciting going into the game. Interest. I know they have that. um, Was it a
4: ten state? They had
2: a. They had a running back transfer who came from another. I believe a former Alabama running back who came over, battled back from injury, and what happened in his first game, he got hurt.
4: But, no, but, well, Lane Kiffin's not afraid to draw anybody from anywhere that he can. So. No, yeah. But, you, you know, like I said, well you're going to be breaking it pretty well. I'm He's not really worried f- about mm-hmm. that at all. Why don't you give us an update on the Rays game? You, do you have one? Rays,
2: it is six to 6-1, and also a good note that I will point out, didn't need to research this or anything, but Jose Altuve hit his 11th home run, most home runs ever for a second baseman in postseason history. So that's a fun note to add for Jose Altuve, who is on his way to a Hall of Fame career.
4: Yeah, yeah, he is. I mean, you know, the one thing that the Yankees get out of this uh, series with the uh, Astros and the Razors, uh, Houston's been extended, and that's exactly what the Yankees want. Remember, uh, the Yankees swept out the Twins 3 to nothing, mm-hmm. and now they've watched uh, the winner of this series go 5. Yeah, and I'll be brief with this assertion, but regardless of
2: who advances, and it's going to be the Astros, considering Cole just gave him 8 innings. He gave him eight innings. He did exactly what they wanted him to do. He didn't strike out 100 batters the way he did not game one when he had 15 strikeouts. But this series is going to be managed two different ways. I mean, you're going to see starters pitching in relief. You're going to see all, a lot of that. You're going to see a lot of very creative stuff on the pitching side. But if Houston's pitching is able to hold up, they're going to win this series You know, in six games. I think the Yankees are going to give him a little bit of a fight. Considering that lineup and Stanton and Judge, but I will not be surprised if Judge is overpowered by Cole. You know, slider away is all you got to do with Stanton.
4: No, so you're saying that you feel that Houston's going to win this. Houston's right?
2: going to win it because I think the longevity of their starters compared to the compared to Aaron Boone's very analytically based idea of maneuvering around. You know this. The lack of a great starting rotation, which is a good starting rotation, but it's not great. He's going to rely heavily on the bullpen, and I it may be a downfall for All him. All right, well, then
4: you know what I'm going to do? Just because you said the Astros are going to win this series, I'm going to go with the Yankees. Then you could
2: say that, but I, and I would not be surprised either. No,
4: wait, wait, wait. Let me finish, okay? You went with the Astros. I'm going You're with the Yankees. You're going to counter Yankees. with me? Yeah, I am. I am. It's like, I'm going to go ahead and take uh, those bats of the Yankees who, by the way, even when Judge and... Uh, Stanton were out for a while, okay, and they found a guy by the name of DJ LeMahieu, the former Colorado Rocky, mm-hmm. and they had other guys step up. Cameron Maybin's done well. Cameron, make Mike Talkman, who unfortunately is not. All right, but the available. point is, is, I'm going with the Yankees, you're going with the Astros. I
2: like your next man up ethos because that's what it's been for that team all year. It's been next man up. I'm and going... I agree with you. I mean, it's going to be a fantastic series regardless. I'm sure you and me are going to have a lot of fun talking about it on air here and maybe just discussing it off air. Maybe we'll get to talk about it with Mark, you know, at the end of the month when that series is over. Okay,
4: don't worry about it. Right now we're talking about it amongst ourselves. But you know what I'm saying. I totally know what you're saying. You went with the Astros. I'm going with the Yankees. And you know what? Everybody out here is going to find out one of us is going to be right. Yeah, one of us, and help. one of us is going to wear the dunce cap. Yeah, well, that okay. dunce cap should be a, a Dolphins hat. Or I've something. worn a d- uh, the dunce cap a time or two here and there. I'm not the least bit concerned. It's
2: okay. About it. I picked the Dodgers to win the World Series this well, year. Well, good. And look now you're really wearing it, and so I'm wearing it temporarily. But I genuinely think the Cardinals could challenge. So we'll w- see what. happens. And what
4: hat am I wearing?
2: And you're wearing a Jaguars hat. You yeah, know, exactly. you're riding Minshew Mania,
4: and you need the headband. Though. I don't need the headband. I'm just wearing you you a the Jaguars headband, hat. Shave the beard.
2: Just keep the mustache on. You'll be good to go. No,
4: I don't think so. Okay, but that's okay. But my hat of the day, for those of you that are not seeing us, know we don't do the old visual thing around here. I am wearing a Jacksonville Jaguars uh, hat. And Candy, Uh, my wife and I, will be heading up I-95 four and a half hours away to cover the Jaguars against uh, uh, New Orleans Saints. Saints. We wish that it would would have been Drew Brees, but uh, obviously, um, you know, he's not going to be there. So with that said, Mm -hmm. our final guest of the night is Damon Knight. Mm -hmm. And, Damon, welcome to the Sports Exchange. How are you, Damon? I'm doing good, Scoop. How you doing? I'm doing all right. You're in the house here with Louis Eddie Weiss
2: What's going on, Damon? Hi. Glad all to good, talk Lewis. to you again. How you doing? Good, good. That's
4: good. So what you got for us there, Mr. Knight, since you're the well, last want... guest of the night?
3: Yeah. Yes, uh, I wanted to talk about the uh, the NLDS. You know, it's it's been crazy. I was watching the game last night, and I thought, you know, this would be a great story. So I'm going to go right into it. So, the, the Braves played uh, the, the Cardinals last night, and it was a rather just awful game to watch in the first inning. Just uh, a 10-run uh, pouncing on the Braves by the Cardinals. Uh, Fulton Dievich, the Braves starting pitcher, only pitched uh, half an inning with three hits, gave up three hits, three walks, and had six uh, seven runs scored on him. And six of those were earned. Uh and he had zero Ks, you know, that's that's not gonna get that done. And uh, you know, Flaherty, uh he had ten runs to work with and he pitched six innings, gave up four hits, one earned run, one base on ball, and eight strikeouts. Um and the Cardinals ended up winning uh thirteen to one. So yeah, that was uh that
2: was a hard game to watch. So
4: <clears throat> Not for me. I, it was over yeah, yeah. pretty quick, so I could prepare for three programs. Go ahead, Lewis. We well, 100. breaking news,
2: Scott and Damon, the Houston Astros will be taking on the New York Yankees in the ALCS. Just announced a 6-1 to victory for the Astros over the Tampa Bay Rays. We, You know, we saw them with that 2-0 lead. The Rays kind of helped them relinquish it a little bit. And what happens? Houston comes out tonight behind Gary Cole. What did A.J. Hinn say before the game? No one feels better than us right now. And where are they now? Going over a date with the Yankees.
4: Well, looking at it this way from a Tampa standpoint, though, yeah. As bad as their attendance has been, at least they've probably got thirty thousand plus for the two games and uh right. and that's what Canvas seed. So uh you know right. take it for whatever it's worth when you're a small market team that has what sixty some odd million dollars mm-hmm. in payroll. But yes. you know, they yeah. got a lot of mileage out of that team. Go ahead, Damon, continue on. Yeah,
3: um, you know, it's not really shocking that the the Astros won tonight um you know I'm I'm happy that the Rays put up a fight so it wouldn't be boring um you know so it it became a competitive uh series but uh I'm talking about the National League so you know um the other teams were the Washington Nationals and the Dodgers that was a game to see that game was history in the making um you had you know he had two great pitchers going at it William uh Walker Buehler and uh, Steven Strasburg, you know, Strasburg, uh, former number one overall pick, going up against one of the uh, best weapons, best, you know, young starters to come up in the uh, b- uh, baseball, okay. um, and Walker Buehler, and uh, the Dodgers jumped all over Strasburg in the first two innings, I was shocked by that, you know, um, I figured that he'd get off to a really good start and show his dominance early, but uh, Jack Pedersen, uh, jumped all over him with a uh, ground route double to left field that pierced the wall, the fence. you saw it was a weird occurrence. And then uh, Max Muncy was on deck, and he hit a two-run bomb to put them in the lead. And then in the very next inning, Enrique Hernandez, you know, uh, got a run in, which made it 3 nothing. And then uh, Soto and Rendon opened up the scoring for the Nationals on the sixth. And then that... You know, opened the floodgates, and then Kershaw came in. They're like, you know, we're going to give him the ball to put an end to this, uh, bleeding. And, uh, they, he, he gave up two back to back home runs to, to Rendon and Soto, who, you know, delivered for them in the, uh, the six. Um, and then, you know, Howie Kentrick comes along, they put Joe Kelly in, and he hits a grand slam to put him in the lead and eventually win it. So just, uh, just a freak of uh, uh, events in, in one game, and uh, you know the, the Nationals are going to the uh, NLCS, so it's just been crazy.
4: Okay, let me go over a couple little hypothetical matchups now that you're on, okay? Now, we're just yep. going to have some fun with this. I know Lewis and I have done it throughout the evening, okay? But we'll yep. just throw a couple scenarios now that the Dodgers yep. are out, Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay, the Yankees, if they go to yep. the World Series, although I believe they will go to the World Series, if they face the Cardinals, it would be the first time that those two teams yep. were on the field since 1926, right? That's what you told me. About. Yes, yes right? sir. Babe Ruth yes. caught stealing to end right, the series. okay, we know that. Okay. Yep. Well, maybe they don't. Maybe he doesn't. But we'll just say the first time since 1926. Now, or let's just say the Yankees take on the Nationals. Here's the interesting yep. dynamic of that, Okay. Had the strike not ended the World Series, I have a feeling the Yankees could have played the Montreal Expos in the yep. World Series because the Expos had the best record in baseball, the World yep. Series matchup that we never saw. And you can tell you how many uh, Hall of Famers came out came out of that. I think Pedro. Pedro or, was on that team. John Wettland, yep. who John was the Yankees was closer in 96. That. Right. I mean, yep. You know, you had Moises Alou. Yep. Right, you had, you had a lot of good players.
2: Andres Galarraga yeah, was on the team. Derek Jeter, his young days, yeah. Derek yeah, Jeter Jeter's. did come into this was '94, so Jeter did debut in '95. But yeah, I totally, totally agree. The Yankees could have, and Buck Showalter could have been in a World Series. Right, no one right. talks yep. about that. Never He's been to or, a World or, Series. Or, uh, well, Royals,
4: coach. Yeah. well, it's funny how you talk about Buck Showalter. Hold on, your thought for a minute. We'll get into that. But you, you, you would you'd think if anything goes full circle and there's no Hollywood ending into it because the Hollywood ending ended in Hollywood for all yeah, the wrong reasons. Team wins. Yeah. <laughs> right, but, but let's just dial the, go back to the past a little bit. The Yankees against the Expos could be the Yankees and the Nationals of mm-hmm. uh, yeah. 2019. Now, let's talk about Buck Showalter now that you brought it up, okay? Buck Showalter just missed it uh, with the Diamondbacks and Bob Brindley, is the one that got the world championship ring there mm-hmm. for the Diamondbacks. And he laid out the groundwork for the Yankees yeah. uh, yep. for Joe Torre to go ahead. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so when you talk about things going full circle, I have a feeling Buck Showalter is going to wind up managing this year someplace. Mm-hmm. He could manage with yep. the Mets? No, I don't Well, maybe he can handle yeah. New York. I don't know. Well, you got the Cubs.
3: You know, the Cubs got a coaching vacancy with uh, Joe Mann being gone. Yeah. Uh, whoever lands that job, that's uh, – that's an early Christmas present right there. Yeah,
4: well, I believe Joe yep. Girardi's going there, Lewis does, and everybody else. I concur, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yep.
3: Yep. So, yeah, but, it's, um, baseball is, uh, it's, uh, it's a sport of anything can happen, you know, um, one, one coaching change, one pitching change, anything, one, you know, doesn't, a uh, designated hitter, you know. It's a it's
4: a great sport, you know. And anything can happen. So, Damon, uh, one question, last question before we let you go. Okay, are you yeah. surprised at how many managerial openings that there are since there are eight now after the dismissal of Gabe Kapler? Um, no, not really. I'm sorry, I said um, uh,
3: not really. Uh, the. The one coaching vacancy that does surprise me is the Chicago Cubs, but I, I look at the other teams and it really doesn't uh, surprise me. Uh, it's just these teams, you know, they, they wanted want to get into a win now mode, and and if these coaches, you know, don't bring that win now mode to the team automatically, they're just they're going to be gone. Like you look at Osmus with the the Angels, you know, in that situation, he didn't get it done there. Uh, the Cubs, you know, just going from making the the playoffs for like the last four years to not making the playoffs, you know, this year, you know, uh, it's it's all over the place, and just they need to get back to that winning uh, culture.
4: Well, so so let's look at a few of the managerial vacancies. We got about another minute and a half to go. Yep. I see, I think one of the, I would doubt anybody would want to go to the take the Pirates' job. I mean, Clint Hurdle, I thought, did as good a job as any. Uh, yep. The Royals are really, Mike me, Matheny's
2: going to take that job. He's their scouting director. Yep. Is he really? You and, think he, and, and a former St. Louis Cardinal.
4: Okay, but I was going to ask you about that. Thanks for bringing yep. that up. Mm-hmm. I, I've heard about Mike Matheny as a possibility for that one. And I think the Royals' job can be a good job. And uh, Ned yep. Yost left it in pretty good hands. Yep. So we look at that one. Uh, the i the Giants job to me is a very interesting one and yeah uh, I
2: haven't you know and I and that's funny you mentioned that, Scott, and I haven't necessarily thought about who would be the heir apparent of Bruce Bochy over there. There's rumors that Hensley Mullins, their long time hitting coach, may be in, and he's interviewed for jobs in the past, so yep. maybe him, but there hasn't really emerged a lot of names. maybe Kapler could go over to San Francisco uh
3: rumors- Kel, uh Carl uh
2: is out there
3: mm-hmm. uh David Ross. Um, yep. you know, Ron Washington, he's a third base coach, okay, uh, right of for correct? now eliminated, uh, it's not crossing my brain.
4: Well, uh, well, that's okay. Let me incorporate here. I, I, yep. I like the fact he's brought Ron Washington. I think that he could be ripe for, uh, for, uh, that possibility as well. So yeah, we'll keep that in mind. So, uh, yeah, good point. I'm glad you brought that up in the Mets. I think Carlos Beltran can definitely be, uh. Uh, a guy that's in play I'll
2: be quick on this but there the relationship between Beltron and the Mets is a good we understand he had that contract and they only went to the playoffs one time while he was there I don't see Beltron managing there was actually a report that came out via Bleacher report about two weeks ago that said Beltron's not in a place where he wants to manage right now so I think when he's ready given his credibility in the game and the respect he has as a player and as a person I think he'll get a job somewhere maybe if yep maybe you know if the Yankees don't win, say, next year. Aaron Boone is gone, and there's a vacancy, and he could fill that. Yep. There was rumor. Uh, with, I don't see Aaron He Boone's interviewed with anywhere. the Yankees job, but we'll yep. see. Again, it's you don't know. I just don't think Beltran's ready right now. Yeah,
4: well, first of yep. all, I think the only thing that's going to happen in New York with the matches is they're going to get an experienced guy. They've already been, they been there and to, done and that. I agree with you. The They've been set. there and done that with Mickey Callaway. although I actually think Mickey Calloway yep. could resurface someplace. He will. He will I at do. some point. So, But meanwhile, anyways, Damon, thanks for being on the Sports Exchange again. We'll yep, get ready you. to go out next Tuesday. But meanwhile, on beh- uh, just to go through our guest lineup really quickly, obviously Louis A.D.L. weiss is in the house, and he'll be over at Florida Atlantic University on Saturday with myself and Candy as well. But on behalf of Ryan Schoolroot, Anthony Wood, Melfar, Mark Littell, Rudy Rays, and Damon Knight, we want to wish you guys a great rest of the night. Have a great weekend, and we will do this again on Tuesday night. Thanks for being on the Course exchange here on the South Florida Tribune Broadcasting Network. Good night. Good night. Yeah, thank you,
3: Scoop. Thank you, Lewis. Yeah, have a good night, you guys. Good night. Take-